Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to this week's installment of Down the Pub. So help me God, I asked for this. Uh, they love being smutty on the group chat. Everything is a double entendre. And so we decided to do Hitler's... Hitler's? What am I talking about? We decided to do <laughs> not Hitler's greatest sex Hitler's greatest sex uh, which which is probably a less interesting show, but nonetheless. Uh, hilariously. So uh, Holmes and Dara both off adulting today. So... Who else to have judge you guys than the newly anointed, because I just made up this name for her, Empress of Sex, Eleanor Yanagar. Hey, Eleanor. Hey, you all knew it. It was only a matter of time until I got my rightful title. We've done it. We've done it, y'all. It's been a while since we spoke to you. And as soon as someone's mentioned sex, you came running. It's great. <laughs> you know, it's it's like a dog whistle, you know. I just kind of, my ears prick up from anywhere. <laughs> I come, you know, I, I've, I've already said prick. It's It's all on. It's all happening. Outstanding. I, I want to see if any of them can shake you because you have literally heard it all, haven't you? Yeah, try to bring it on. I mean, um, I will doff my cap and I will award points if I am at any point in time shaken. I will tell you that much. Brilliant. I can't wait for this because they've all been blushing like mad and um, are quite disturbed by some of the things they've seen on the internet. With their <laughs> this week. Rookies, rookies. And the idea that it may not even make a dent in you is quite funny. I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I know it well. Fond memories yeah. that I count around the family kitchen table. Yes. <laughs> and at the complete other end of the spectrum is Zach, who can't sperm. say the word sperm. Go on, <laughs> say it just once. What, sperm? Yeah. <laughs> See, that's already hilarious hearing you say that. Because uh, you coined the phrase Hitler's baby juice on a previous podcast, didn't you? I did indeed. I am the one who brought you Hitler's baby juice. Not literally. <laughs> 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 and you volunteered for this gig you said let me judge so i can't wait for this because zach is going to have to say all manner of smutty words um which is quite a turn on for us girls so uh we're already looking forward to this uh who right who do we have beth is already like luminous red and she's still suffering from covid so i don't know if she'll last without passing out tonight you're right beth yeah i'm i'm, I'm getting on the mend i've upgraded from uh from pyjamas to actual clothes today, so that's a win. You a say win. that, but that's t-shirts and jogging bottoms, right? It's still clothes. <laughs> you, could still, you could still leave the house in that, I suppose. I could leave the house. I'm in a better state of attire than I have been for the last week. 
yeah, <laughs> as opposed to the Minnie Mouse onesie. Yes, but that was that made me happy, and I wasn't very happy. So I'm hopefully getting back to some sort of more more normal Beth. Outstanding. Uh, we also have Clive with us, who went to Catholic boarding school, so nothing's going to shake him either. Are you right, Clive? I'm very well indeed, thank you. What did your wife say about us? Well, when I said, she asked what we were talking about tonight, and I told her, and she said, oh, I'm not at all surprised. I said, what do you mean you're not surprised? She said, well, they're a fairly disreputable bunch, aren't they? Yes, and we are. Given that she's only ever met Johnny, and he's been a judge, I don't know why she, you know, necessarily concluded that, but hey-ho, she's right. Well, if Johnny went on one of his cheese and wine binges and ended up lying on the floor farting, then that's probably why she's that <laughs> If I remember correctly, he wasn't the only one lying on the floor, though I don't think that my wife was farting at the time. <laughs> I had to carry her home afterwards. It was difficult. Excellent. We also have Chris with us. Uh, we've been planning Oceans 15 with Chris, haven't we? You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not bad, right? Badger on the wine, at least. Yeah, it's the end of it. And um, then I'm moving on to something from Korea. I'm not entirely certain what this is, but it's alcoholic. (laughs) So I do. It sounds like the night for it. Speaking of Korea, Kit has just walked in. Kit, it's, what is it, quarter five in the morning there, five o'clock? It's it's like ten past four. Um, Four. Yeah, my my eyes are closed. I'm just going to listen to all the pervy stuff going on today. And let it wash over me, um, drift in and out. It's going to be wonderful. Much like Eleanor, you were not, you couldn't not turn up as soon as you heard this was all about smutty stuff, could you? While I mean, it's washing, yeah, over, I am. Can you leave your camera off, please? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I was about to say, mate, you do know that we're just talking about, we're just talking I, about I, sex. No one's actually having sex. Like you get that right. I'm not sure it's worth that worth getting out of bed, but you know, I, oh, I put my trousers back on. It's, it's fine. I, I am in bed and and, and I am hands free. So, that's all good. Oh, kid. <laughs> sir, sir, there is Kit meet Eleanor. Eleanor meet Kit. This is not going to be a disaster at all, is it? <laughs> Beth is literally. Uh, what colour would you say Beth is right now? Oh, she's gone past tomato now. Like uh, beetroot. Yeah, beetroot. Pretty much. Right, okay, we also have Marcus with us. He looks like he's on the gin and tonic. You're right, Marcus. On the gin and tonic. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, had a had a good day of finishing one presentation, having a crisis conscience, putting it on Twitter, and all of you guys convincing me to start a new. So I've got a couple of days doing powerpoints on the second battle of Porto, which I secretly love. So I'm good. Thanks. Excellent. So you've progressed out of your pants and away from Assassin's Creed then since furlough. Yeah, I'm kind of missing it. Sorry. <laughs> Excellent. Dorman's with us. He wasn't Dorman. Uh, you were obviously hospitalised after watching that trailer for the Emily Blunt film. Uh, what do you describe it as a hate crime? The Irish accent. Have you recovered? Uh, well, I did until I listened to last week's episode of Down the Pub. And that, then I relapsed. Um... <laughs> Who won for you? Who had the best Irish accent? Um, from what I remember, I think Kits was probably the, it was the least egregious. One was the most egregious. Uh, Chris. (laughs) I won something. Chris is the part of Wyden already. He doesn't give a fuck. Uh, We also have Lockie with us. You're right, Lockie. Yeah, good. Yeah, 
banging away doing serious study. Um, the First World War is not a rich vein of sexual comedy to mine, unfortunately. But, um... I was going to say you usually stay in lane on these. If you've got, I, do you know what? When when we turn off afterwards, I'll tell you a sex anecdote from the First World War that involves two old Etonians. But it's not right for the. Um, <laughs> because their families might be listening. Uh, we also have James with us. You're right, James. Yeah, not too bad on the rum and coke. My Great War magazine arrived, so. Uh, Boom! Could you yeah. sound a bit more excited about it, please? <laughs> <That's not laughs> <a> great advert. <laughs> well, I am on the rum and coke, so. Okay, right, Charlie. How are you? I'm good. I'm on the red wine, and the house smells of carrot cake at the moment. Aww. Oh, damn you. I wish we lived closer. You don't, because I would never leave your house. No, I really I really do. I end up with all this food and I have to palm it off on the neighbours. So come on over. Oh, brilliant. But, I just I'm trying to find a reason that involves medical treatment or a, well, it's obtaining food. Whether I can justify circumventing the whole of the M twenty five to get dead food and not just going to Tesco, the government can manage. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we better wait till after December the 2nd. Kate's also joining us from Spain. You're right, Kate. Hello. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm two gin and tonics and a glass of wine in. Oh, brilliant. So, well, you are an hour ahead. Good girl. Yeah. I've been translating all day as well, so my brain's a bit fried. It's good. Um, and Alina's hit as well, but she hasn't done any prep and she's vaguely listening in the background because she's doing something to do with Auschwitz, which I hope isn't to do with a mucky sex anecdote, but she'll probably pop up at some point, won't you? I will, and no, it's not. I'm um, doing a bit of Googling, so um, not on my subject, by the way, just so everybody knows. (laughs) Hopefully not on a work computer either. Right, okay, let's get started. Uh, Have we got, I'm trying to remember if I've allocated, yeah, we have, we are doing a bit of fact or fiction today, judges, as well. One of these anecdotes is complete bullshit, so when we get to the end and you pick your winner... Uh, you will also have to pick the one you think was utter bullshit. Okay, gotcha. Right, so let's start with, right, who is going to, who has absolutely no shame and will get us off the mark in style? Uh, well, all of you, really. Let's go, for, <laughs> let's go for Chris before he gets totally wankered and is no use to anybody. Um. Well, um, I'm actually worried that mine's quite lame. At the time, I thought this was quite fun. But um, in the true style of my local football team, Gillingham, I'm going in fully prepared to lose this. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm <laughs> I'm going to talk about a sex riot in Chatham <laughs> in the 1800s. It's like a um, Saturday night in Chatham. <laughs> um, as I live nearby, no comment, but yeah. <laughs> um, right. Um, so basically, um, during the uh, 19th century, it was noted that a large chunk of the uh, Royal Navy and the British Army were on the sick list. And that they were mainly on the sick list because they had uh, syphilis and other um, sexually transmitted diseases. So um, the army and the navy um, said to the government, you need to do something. And um, without debate, they managed to pass the Contagious Diseases Act, um, which basically meant it was open warfare on all prostitutes. Um, The problem with Kent being um, that a large chunk of it was agricultural with a very light industry. So women didn't have much to do apart from during the hopping season. And so a good choice of income, especially around the uh, naval military bases such as Sheerness and um, 
and Chatham was to turn to prostitution. Um, also, soldiers and sailors didn't really care where, where they got it. And so um, there was quite a lot of syphilis banging about. And so the Metropolitan Police um, came down to Medway to basically stalk um, women um, that they thought might be prostitutes. And uh, they could arrest them, take them away and have them forcibly inspected by a doctor. Um, and it gets gets pretty horrific. Um, Florence Nightingale described it as uh, an assault on, um, I can't remember the technical term, but uh, on the basically on the female anatomy and stuff. And they, get, they basically got locked up in uh, St. Bart's Hospital, um, which was sort of a hospital come um, workhouse um, until they, they, they were cured. Um, but long story short, uh, one particular madam within Chatham uh, was watched by med- by the Metropolitan Police. They finally um, had enough information to uh, arrest her, which they did. They took her to Chatham Police Station. Uh, word got out, and the locals were so incensed because she was so popular and uh, the amount of girls that she ran <laughs> that everyone uh, was enjoying that the people of Chatham marched upon Chatham Police Station and uh, rioted until and even broke into the police station and freed her so they could reopen the brothel. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to say that they marched on the police station and had a mass orgy on the doorstep. That that would have been better. <laughs> um, as I said, I, I'm really worried this is quite tame. So I'm going to throw in for bonus um, story. Uh, when my grandfather was on a troop ship from um, the North Africa to Sicily for the invasion, they heard some weird noises coming from one of the hammocks, the other hammocks, and they found a uh, sailor in in fornicating with one of the soldiers um so sergeant manager was sent for quite on the quiet he came in had them tied up by with a rope so they couldn't escape the hammock and um eventually handed over to the authorities still naked in the hammock tied up <laughs> handed over to the military police if they think it was part of the game being tied up in the in the hammock or... <laughs> I, I, i'm not entirely certain he didn't really go into details but as an ex-policeman during the 60s he wasn't overly fond of the uh, the notion of it if they were in a hammock, were they swingers? <laughs> I think it depends on whether, on the stormy weather. Uh, if they've been in the Bay of Biscay, yes, but um, not not in the not in the Mediterranean. Outstanding, Zach. Let's go in easy first. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> not really. Um, I mean, you started strongly with mention of an STI. Um, I was thinking, okay, <laughs> this is what I promise here. Um, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that everybody likes a bit of syphilis, but, you know, <laughs> it's a good way to start the story. I, I don't know. This just kind of felt a bit kind of standard. It's that kind of randy yeah. soldiers. They're not getting any. They're hacked off that they can't get some. I, I was hoping for just a little bit more. I mean, you were talking about Mozart and how he might have had a thing for poo. And I was thinking that we we're going to get something wild out of you tonight. But um, Yeah, but the work filters on the la- on the work computer just kicked in and I had to go uh, <laughs> well you know we can't go any further without finding out about the Mozart poo anecdote well apparently yeah he um from the the article brief article I read um he he had a thing for one of his for his cousin or something and he he, he was sending her her filth her literal filth that he quite wanted her, the idea of her to come to his house and poop in his bed and apparently yeah apparently Mozart was into into like an Amber Heard kind of scenario or no, really? yeah. Mozart <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's anyway. That's where a court case starts, isn't it? 
<laughs> in true old man story, old man thing, I actually have a story about this. When I was at university, there was an urban rumor about a, a guy who went back to uh, another another student's house, and they were falling around on the bed. And at the wrong moment, she jammed her thumb in his backside, and then whipped it out. He pooped on the bed quickly. Ran off. He ran off, embarrassed, and showered, and came back and found her rolling in it. Um, <laughs> oh, what university was this? Uh, it was King Alfred's College, Winchester. Outstanding, oh, Eleanor. Any questions on this? I'm just kind of like giggling. Well, in in the first place, what I'd say is, to a certain extent, I would say that this isn't necessarily boring. This is classic. This is like a classic story that um, you see repeated a lot, where when people actually like try to uh, intervene or shut down um, uh, brothels, or a lot of the time, if they specifically say, okay, well, legally, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go against these madams. When they're popular, you do see people fight it quite often because there's a real difference between what a community wants and what a community considers to be good for them. And you know what police necessarily want. Um, I'm wondering how many of these met police officers stuck their hands up and volunteered to go down and follow prostitutes. Oh, absolutely. And it's just like they, we, it's an ongoing thing that you see, you know, with uh, police who are doing, who are working vice, you know, when they're very specifically, Oh yeah, really interested in the scourge of sex work. We really got to get down there and check it out. And it's like, yeah, sure. Okay, buddy. So um, to a certain extent, I wouldn't necessarily call it boring. What I would say is that it is kind of... it it sort of works as um, a catch-all because you see a lot of the classic things that we do see um, with uh, sex work stories where it's just like you know, government trying to blame a public health crisis on a, a quote-unquote morality crisis intervening in a place that they're not wanted and community pushback. And frankly, I love to see it. I love to see it. I love a good sex riot. I still would rather that they all just started banging each other on the doorstep of the police station. You know, that's, you know, we can save that one for next time it's necessary. Have you heard of that start poo thing? Um, I mean, I've definitely heard like versions of that. There's always like versions of that that are uh, rolling around. Um, not necessarily that I know, for example, there's a lot of talk about Mozart having particularly scatological humor. So, you know, that particular story isn't, you know, uh, you know, I'm not shocked about that either. But, you know, it does kind of like uh, it, it does make one think of what the boys at Winchester might be giggling about. Have yeah. to say. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay, let's go to Beth, just because this is going to be funny, because she's such a good girl, I'm going to ruin her. She'll ruin you. <laughs> oh, we're back to that quote about Alina destroying Zach, aren't we? I was about to say, I thought that was Alina, not Beth, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to quote that. Right, yeah. Uh, so I think I've, again... I may have to say I think I've gone for something quite tame as well. I don't know. We'll have to uh, we'll have to see. You have to pass judgment. Um, but I wanted to talk about someone in particular, um, a gentleman by the name of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. You may have heard that name before. Um, so he was born in 1712 in Geneva, and from a young age was shown to be, you know, quite quite clever. Um, and he certainly had ideas. Obviously, he became quite a great philosophical thinker in the enlightenment movement of throughout europe at at the time and he had a certain piece of work that was his autobiographical work which is called confessions and it's particularly noteworthy firstly because it sort of popularized the concept of what a modern autobiography is 
but it also revealed to the world some very, very personal information about Russo that he was really, really into spanking. And he's the, believed to be the first person who publicly voiced this sentiment. And he talked about his need to be spanked to become aroused at great length. Sorry, I'm already <laughs> He managed to trace it back to an incident that started when he was eight years old, when he was sent off to school um, and he was boarded with a, a minister and the minister's sister, Mademoiselle Lambercier, who he found quite attractive. And in method of disciplining him, she would spank him when he misbehaved. And his, he writes it into, into confessions about how he would commit new offences so that he would get punished again. He writes, it says, as Mademoiselle Lambertiers felt a mother's affection, she sometimes exerted a mother's authority, even to inflicting on us when we deserved it, the punishment of infants. She had often threatened it, and this threat of a treatment entirely new appeared to me extremely dreadful, but I found the reality much less terrible than the idea. And what is still more unaccountable, this punishment increased my affection for the person who had inflicted it. <laughs> I had found in the pain, even in the disgrace, a mixture of sensuality, which had left me less afraid, less afraid than desirous of experiencing it again from the same hand. No doubt some precocious sexual instinct was mingled with this feeling, for the same chastisement inflicted by her brother would not have seemed to me at all pleasant. <laughs> I love it. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant description. But the thing is he maintains throughout the book and his other writings that he's quite shy and unenterprising with women, that he had no courage and claimed that he spent most of his life wanting to be spanked, but that he was too bashful to declare his unorthodox desires to a woman. Um, so unable to be fulfilled in the way he desired, he started to go to more extreme steps, shall we say? And this is the incident that I have, I'm talk talking about, you know, it gets even better. What he would do is he would take he took the decision that he would go out into the public and expose himself but he would not expose his front end he would expose his rear end in the hope that someone would be so disgusted by seeing his backside that they would spank him <laughs> it says it it says I haunted dark alleys and hidden retreats where I might be able to expose myself to women in the condition in which I should have liked to have been in their company. <laughs> what they saw was not an obscene object. I never even thought of such a thing. It was a ridiculous object. The foolish pleasure I took in displaying it before their eyes cannot be described. There was only one step further necessary for me to take in order to gain actual experience of the treatment I desired. And I have no doubt that someone would have been bold enough to afford me the amusement while passing by if I had the boldness to pay. He's <laughs> <laughs> just, he, he, the thing is, he did it. He actually went and did it once. He, um, hang on, I've lost myself. I've, I've composed myself. Um, so, there was one particular incident where he did go and decide to expose himself. Um, and he was, he'd positioned himself in a darkened area that led near to some underground cellars, which was also near to a well where young girls would go to fetch water. So he determined beforehand what he was going to do 
it was hot, dark around there, so where he could hide and could find himself a safe hiding place. Um, in his own words, he said that he exhibited to the girls a sight more laughable than seductive. The more modest pretended to see nothing. Others began to laugh. Others felt insulted and made noise. Um, this was happening. He did this on a few occasions. But then the next person he did it to actually turned out to be a man. Um, so the man found him, <laughs> chased after him in darkness he eventually got to a point where he couldn't hide anymore there was nowhere for him to turn and he had no choice but to wait for the man to find him it was a big tall mustached man carrying a big sword grabbed him by the arm and so as to be sure that he didn't you know wasn't attacked or anything he started playing off that he was mad that he had an adult brain um he said i i said that i was a young stray of stranger of good birth whose brain was affected that i had run away from home because they wanted to shut me up that if i was lost i was lost if he betrayed me but that if he would let me go i might someday be able to reward his kindness contrary to all expectation my words and demeanor took effect the terrible man was touched and after administering a short reprieve he let me go and it just, it, oh man, this Yeah, that's the terrible man, Russo. That's the guy. He's this the terrible dude. one. <laughs> I mean, it, there was even more, but that, I just thought, right, I'll stop there. That's, that's in- <laughs> Eleanor, uh, firstly, you, this can't be the first time you've heard of this. And secondly, <laughs> what do you make of that assertion that Beth said people claim he was the first one to articulate the spanking thing? That's I said claim, I didn't say it. It's an interesting one because... Um, I have to say that it's certainly one of the first ones that I've seen where um, you see a man uh, describing his desire to to be the the spanky there. Like, so he's got this desire for the like sub uh, role here. Um, we do know, for example, there are in, for example, the um, uh, Peter Abelard's uh, um, autobiography from the thir- uh, the 12th century, the Historia uh, Calamitatum. He talks about his relationship with Eloise of Argentil, who um, he is having sex with, even though she is his uh, 2T. It's all very dodgy. Um, but uh, it, they're having sex, and they shouldn't be, obviously, because they're not married. And also, uh, he is her teacher, but, um, they, one of the ways that they try to disguise the fact that they're having sex is that he'll like spank her a lot in front of other people or like hit her. And he specifically talks about how, um, but those blows are kind of like kisses between them. And there is like, it's definitively something that we can see, um, they're kind of eroticizing. And you also see things uh, from the medieval period sometimes. People who got spanked by, again, their masters, like uh, young monks and that sort of a thing, who are spanked by their masters being like, oh, yes, but I could tell my master really loved me because of the way that he spanked me and, and these sort of things. So we definitely do see people kind of eroticize these things, eroticize these pain, this pain. What I will say for Rousseau is he is really one of the first people that you see almost use kind of like these this like proto uh freudian ways of describing it being like oh i think this all dates back to my childhood and you know when this happened to me and i got spanked by this hot lady right uh, which you don't see um from medieval recollections about this medieval people are just like oh no i thought it was kind of hot you know <laughs> they don't really kind of like uh, delve into their psyches about it in any way shape or form so this is like a super modern way of relating to the fact that you really want to get spanked um 
I, I mean, love this for Russo. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Um, but I, I have to say that uh, my favorite thing about this is probably the fact that, like, when he gets caught, like, basically, I mean, like, let's be real. To a certain extent, this is a sexual assault. He's wanting this sexual thing to happen, right? He's just like, I'll just sit here and wait until someone shows up and spanks me. Um, and, you know, he can dress it up as much as he wants to be like, oh, I'm sure it was much more, uh, you know, something, an act of ridicule. And it's like, yeah, but homeboy, if you're, like, getting turned on by getting ridiculed because your bare butt's out, again, that sex for you sorry like so, you know sex isn't just like uh p's and v's all the time so it's like this is a minor sexual assault here people like let's let's be real about it and then to blame the dude who upbraids him and is like put your put your butt away oh boy be like oh yeah that man was terrible it's just like so russo all over the shop and um absolutely you know i bet i bet he didn't even pay that man off at some point he should have <laughs> Charlatan, a charlatan. I I, to be that desperate to be spanked that you just run around with your arse out hoping that someone's going to hit it. That, that's pretty, like... That's, that's I mean, yeah, you, this is the thing. If you ever think that you yourself are getting desperate, just think, of, you know, it could be worse. You could be Rousseau. Zach, <laughs> what lengths would you go to get someone to spank you? Certainly not these lengths. Can I address the elephant in the room here, please? Um, and that's not an innuendo by any stretch of the imagination. Why did he confess to this in his autobiography? Because I can't envisage this appearing in the memoir of Dominic Cummings. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Honesty is the best policy, aren't it? It's like, you know, when everyone always has to do a big reveal to sell copies, maybe he was just like, yeah, fuck it. I mean, I have to say there's probably something in there in the terms of like enlightenment <laughs> ideas about um, gender and sexuality and, you know, their more willingness to talk about sexy things possibly. but. You know, again, we've just established that our homeboy here has a humiliation fetish. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's a, like definitely the spanking is in there, but he's also, you know, really desirous of being humiliated. So, you know, what better place to do that than in one's own autobiography? And then walk around holding a copy of said autobiography with the pants cut out, the seat cut out of your pants. <laughs> and, read it and we'll beat you. Um, maybe it was a last ditch attempt to get beaten on some more. Um, anything else, Zach? Um, on a serious note here, and I'm sorry to bring some actual kind of historical stuff into this. This was more for Eleanor, really. Do we actually know if Freud kind of read Rousseau's stuff and was kind of influenced by it? Did that have no idea of... there? No idea there. Uh, that is a really, really good question, actually, and one that now I'm going to have to look up. So thanks for that homework. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Uh, right. I think I've got one that will kick this on to another level. Uh, and she knows because I can see it on her face. Charlie, who yeah. researches Barbara Villiers, you've got to have something for us. Oh, I have got something for you. It was a question of what to choose. Um, I really enjoyed your episode with Dr. Linda Porter. And okay. Yeah, I am taking you to the court of Charles II, who, quote, is the randiest man to have. Sat on the English throne. That's what Alex Churchill says. So, <laughs> so Barbara Villiers, his most, yeah, it is. It is. It's pretty, yeah. Well, some of the deviants we've had, it really is. Um, Barbara Villiers was his most prolific mistress, shall we say. She gave him five children inside of four years. The maths of that is stunning. Between her third and her fourth pregnancy, she was not pregnant for, I think, between two and three months. So they liked to do it. Let's just say that. 
um, she was his match in every way. So if he went off to the theatre and started shagging actresses, she would pick up a hot actor. Um, she had an affair with an actor called Charles Hart. Um, she also had an affair with a rope dancer called Jacob Hall, who was apparently built like beautifully i mean you you've been you've seen the acrobat guys right yeah yeah she had her some of that um she <laughs> she had a a terrible reputation for being um because she was very powerful and because she was involved politically in a lot of things she had a terrible reputation she uh, was not well liked around court and um, very often there were things posted about her on her door or pinned around town. Most notably, uh, the reason why she's not ducked is because by Caesar she is fucked. Um, And there was this brilliant pamphlet called The Poor Whore's Petition, which was supposed to be from the um, the biggest brothel leaders. There were two rival brothel leaders. I mean, it's Taylor, Taylor's oldest time. And um, they actually said that she should be looking after them because, you know, she's the, the wealthiest whore in the country and all of this stuff. So she is attracting all of this shit while she's alive. After she's dead, it goes into overdrive. And I was looking into tales of her rampant sexuality. And one that came to mind was a story that occurred just after the Great Fire of London. So as every school child knows, in 1666, London burnt um, and we lost the old St. Paul's Cathedral. And when that was burnt, there were all these tombs that had been inside of the, the cathedral and they were basically turned out so there was a lot of skeletons that needed to be reinterred somewhere else but they found in one of the tombs they found the body of bishop braybrook who had died in 1404 so he'd been dead for 260 years they found that his body had been remarkably well preserved it was mummified Peeps went to see him, of course. So we have this from Peeps. And he said that he'd seen his skeleton with the flesh on, but all tough and dry, like a spongy dry leather or torchwood all upon his bones. So people would come from all over London to come and see this this incredible miracle that had happened. And one of those people who went to see the miracle was Barbara Villiers. It's not going to end well, is it? Well... what happened when Barbara Villiers went to see the bishop she begged for a few moments alone so that she could contemplate the miracle that she'd seen and at some point when she was left alone with the bishop before she went in he had a penis and when she came out he no longer had a penis And the story goes is that she put whatever she could fit in her mouth, into her mouth, and bit it off and stole the bishop's mummified penis, which I thought was a pretty good sex story. I mean, going down on a mummy is... That's pretty cool. Lockie looks so disturbed, right? And it's, it's not just for Halloween people. It's yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I'm just imagining the, the loveliness of that spongy, leathery um, delight. But I started looking at this because I'm a girly swat and because I'm a nerd, 
I started looking at this because I was like, it's one of these stories that you've heard and it's kind of gone into your conscience. And I was thinking, well, obviously it must be in several of my books. So I started looking through my books and nothing, nothing, nothing. Only one book does this story appear in. And it's a book from 1979, written by a misogynist called Brian Masters. Um, So that tells you what I think of him. (laughs) And he reports this story and he says that it's from a document that's in the British Museum written by a Lord Coleraine. Looked it up. Nothing. Looked up Lord Coleraine. He's described as he's basically a minor MP and a poet. Now, they're the people you want to watch out for, him and Rochester and Buckingham and the likes, bullshit artists. And then I thought, well, if this had happened or if it had even been a rumour, surely cheese fan and noted sex pest peeps would have written about it. Nothing. So I'm calling bullshit on my own story. But for the purposes of sexcapades, Barbara Villiers going down on a mummified priest and biting off his cock. Thank you. Exactly visibly cringed at the words biting off his cock zach can you handle that one he is applauding you i I don't want to handle the mummified penis if i'm being really honest with you um yeah that that sounds deeply unpleasant it's funny that you say that it's probably bullshit because as you were saying it i was bearing in mind there is a bullshitter in the room i thought hmm what's the source base for this um yeah i I'm not quite lost for words, but, um, yeah, it's, it's very odd, isn't it? Just the idea that you'd even make this crap up. I think it says more about the person that may have made it up than it does about Barbara Villiers herself. As you say, like politically people don't like her. She's got the power that they want because she's permanently humping Charles II. Eleanor, do you believe this happened? Okay, so I love this. Um, I absolutely love the homework that's been done here because um, I always felt like this was a bit OTT. Um, I mean, because honestly, it, it doesn't even really necessarily make a lot of sense. It's just like, oh, you know how women who like sex be, they just be stealing one of high penises. It's just like, what? I mean, you know, I, I, that's news to me. It's the um, ultimate slut shame, isn't it? She's it, such a whore. She stole a dead man's cock. Oh, yeah. And like a dead bishop's cock. Like that's the thing that would happen. And I mean, it also is a kind of like strange way of like relating between like, I don't know, like a Catholic and Church of England interest, these sort of things. It's just kind of, it, it, it's just very odd and muddled on a number of levels. So um, I am absolutely loving this story because I'm actually here for the history of misogynists who are writing bullshit history, getting called out by women, you see? So if Thank we relate you. to that, if we relate to <laughs> the historiography of it, I'm like, this is like high up in my rankings because I've definitely heard this story before and been like, huh, okay, like, fine. But it, it's one of those ones where, especially when you get like the big sexy stories, those are the ones that just kind of like pass unremarked, right? Where everyone is like, oh, I love that story. Because like, you know, who doesn't love a, a good story about a little bit of mummy fellatio and a cock getting like bitten <laughs> off? So it's really, you don't want to be Captain Bringdown and be like, sorry guys, I'm not sure that this is real. But... It tells us a lot about how men think about uh, sexual women, how men think about women who get above their station, how history gets written, and why we are still doing history. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is pretty much a perfect sex history moment. This is what it's all about, baby. 
Yeah. Thank you. I have to say, Charlie, that um, the thing that nails it for me is when you say, if Peeps, who was filth, doesn't talk about it endlessly. Yeah, come on. I mean, we all know what he would have done. If he'd have heard this story, he'd have written in his diary that he heard this story and he embarrassed himself. He messed himself to think of it. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He would be, he would be out here like trying to, uh, he would be writing down how he was forcing, you know, chambermaids to, you know, act it out with him. Like, please, if, if, (laughs) if this had happened, peeps would have like tried it three more times. Some of the facial expressions going on are brilliant. You're right there, Chris. <laughs> Have another drink. <laughs> I'm, I'm on to the Korean stuff now, so yes. Outstanding. Let's go. Right, let's refill glasses in that case, and then we will pop back and carry on with some more ludicrous sex history. So we're waiting to come back on, but we're just talking about, because no one's going to discuss it, um, and Charlie's just brought up Catherine the Great in terms of another woman who had sex accusations levelled at her. And isn't Cleopatra, doesn't she have some weirdness accusation to do with a snake? I I can't remember. And the bees and the vibrator. Don't forget our last podcast. Yeah. I might have known Alina would pipe up for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The old Eleanor, were you familiar with that about the ancient vibrator with the bee? Yeah, the vibrator, the the bee, the old bee vibrator. Yeah. I've definitely heard that one before. Uh, which I'm just like, come on, guys. Come on, really. Like, it's just, it's kind of unimaginative almost, you know? I kind of like to see Peeps try that though. <laughs> oh, Peeps would. He'll live for it. Trash. <laughs> he was right. up. Who should we go to next? Who's going to follow a vibrating bee? <laughs> uh, let's go for probably the biggest slut in the room, James. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, first, the apologies to Eleanor and Zach. I did try and find out something audio-related this week for you, just so I could say the famous two-and-a-half-men line, not to be a stickler, but for an orgy, you need six people. (laughs) But unfortunately, I'm not going there. Where's the lie? Instead, instead, I'm going for Dirty Bertie himself, Edward the Caresser, Edward the Seventh. There's a whole (laughs) dark level to his smut stuff but yeah go on what have you got uh well let's just say he started late he started age 19 with an irish actress and because of that supposedly his father died after giving him a telling off or victoria blamed him for it however i'm going for the later years of his life the 1880s and 1890s where he liked to frequent a parisian brothel called La Chabonnet, and I've probably pronounced that wrong and all the French hate me now, but oh well. Let's just say he used to frequent this brothel so much, they gave him his own room with his own coat of arms, with a lovely, I think it was bronze or copper bathtub, and which he used to fill with champagne and enjoy the champagne while enjoying company and said things. However, by the 1890s, He was um, struggling to perform, shall we say. So, to get round this, he decides to commission a piece of furniture. The uh, Siege d'Amour, as it was known. Basically, it's an extraordinary and highly imaginative chair, uh, a copy of which is in the Prague Sex Museum, I believe. However, it was created so he could make love to the prostitutes without crushing them. 
There is a rumour it allowed him to have sex with two at a time, but that's a bit debatable. And yeah, so he just liked to go to these brothels, liked to enjoy champagne baths with prostitutes, commissioned a piece of furniture just so he could get his end off still, even his older age. And yeah, just Dirty Bertie, Edward the Caressor. I'd love to say there's more stories about him and the people he slept with, including Winston Churchill's mother, uh, wife of an MP, the great <laughs> grandmother of Camilla, supposedly. Yeah, but, he um, had everybody. He did, but unfortunately he was also very secretive. So unfortunately there's little details. But yeah, this chair, this chair, the original, is still owned by the family that made the chair and is supposedly still in use. So, <laughs> yeah. Eleanor's part check. She's nodding. Yeah, standard. Still in use. Uh, yeah, Zach. I mean, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've uh, unfortunately, it's like I, 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 you're gonna have a hard time fooling me because I'm like, yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Kit, you must have seen that. There's no way Kit hasn't gone and hung out with the crazy sex museum in Prague. Um, it, it, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor, let's get back to last week. Kit was at this sex statue place in South Korea that has a giant angry vulva. Oh, nice. Okay, legendary. Yeah, have you been uh, there? We love to see it. No, I haven't. I've not. I've not uh, been to either of the Koreas yet. So you know, I'm going to get there at some point. Kit, what was your favorite thing in that sex museum? Oh, uh, in Jeju Loveland, um, they, <laughs> as it was called, um, they had a, um, a sort of sexual positions of the world uh, gallery, and so they were sort of mannequins essentially posed in different country garb. Uh, having different kinds of, uh, of of fun. Oh, and there was the bald eagle that was that was that was noshing on Marilyn Monroe. That was quite special. Oh, was that America's contribution? That was very special. That photo. Thanks for sharing it, Kit. That makes me right. proud. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm tearing up right now just thinking at home. Just USA, USA, etc. <laughs> How were the Brits oh. represented? Yeah, how were the Brits represented? Uh, repressed, I think, is the best way to describe the British <laughs> representation. It's a, a standard um, missionary position. Well, there, tea. Wasn't that, there wasn't that much British stuff, but there was an old sort of, um, uh, it was like a Ford Anglia. Uh, it, it, was like, it was a British car from like the 70s. And this was the dogging bit. And basically, you, you walked up and you had a look at what was going on. And the car would occasionally sort of rock and make a noise. <laughs> I love that Chris is broken, James is broken, Kate is broken, Ellen jogging. <laughs> I mean, it is one of those things that I enjoy asking uh, friends from overseas if they've heard of dogging and then explaining dogging <laughs> to them because it, it's you know a truly a truly British form of sex, and you know I love that for us. No, no, no. Oh, contrary, it's a French thing. Oh, is it? Do they call it dogging? If you, if you drive through France, the laybys are a lot bigger than in England. It explains why it's a far better place to do it. See, this is, this is why I immigrated. This is why I immigrated, you know. I'll never, you know, like all these cultural delights that we don't have in the States. You know where they don't have dogging? Russia. Because I had this dumbass of a Russian ex-boyfriend who used to like to drive up um, to that lookout spot above Epsom Downs where you can see the whole of London. And sitting in the car as the police do their pass-bys and look at you and you're like, he really is. I'm sorry. He's here for the view and I'm not bullshitting <laughs> you. 
like he has absolutely no clue what's going on in the other cars. And then decides he's got to try and find something, so he puts the light on in the car. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but turn it off because you have no idea what might be about that. Because he has just absolutely no clue, like no clue what scenario he put us into or what it was. And I tried to explain it to him. He was like, you're fucked up. You're just making that up. I was like, no, I'm really not. Zach, there was talk there of um, baths filled with champagne. That's a standard Saturday night for you down on the South Coast, isn't it? It's Southampton, mate. We, we, we're just rubbing ourselves in champagne the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, this was... I was hoping for more kind of passion. There was a kind of a lack of vigour in this one. It's basically what a glorified sex harness. Yeah. Basically, so we can sex harness. Basically, so we can lie around, not put any effort in. I was just kind of hope. It's not very kind of debaucherous. It's basically typical royalty. Can't be asked. Getting someone else to do all the hard work whilst he lies back and literally thinks of England. Uh, yeah, so Zach, uh, you're not really that enamored. I, do you know what? I find him quite dark having done the research and like the consequences of some of this, like one, a couple of the women going a bit loopy because they'd been got pregnant and the sort of suggestions of late term abortions as well to bail him out of trouble. I just, I look at it and I'm like, oh, it's just really unsavory. So I find it quite hard to laugh at Bertie's, um, sexy stuff. Eleanor? I mean, so I suppose that uh, to a certain extent, I liked, uh, you know, the theories about the share more when it was like, oh, this is in order to get, you know, more than, you know, one person in here. And the thing that I suppose that I like about it is uh, it makes me think about all of the kind of like uh, medieval church prescriptions about having sex in any position other than missionary and how they're all really bad. Um, it's like you can only have, you can only have missionary sex because um, any other sex um, subverts natural order of things, unless you have some kind of ailment or impairment which will stop you from having uh, missionary style sex in which case you get a pass so say that you're like especially corpulent or if you're like missing a limb or something like that and you need to do something else then the, you get like a say so from the church but on the other hand that's not going to come in here because you also need to be like obviously married to someone to make it okay so i mean i like that it uh 100 makes me think about all the stupid canon law that is shoved into my brain uh for no apparent reason but and i love the chair because if you if you go look up at the chair it's it's quite funny because it's got like like a floral kind of uh print on it it, it kind of like looks like your nan's couch that she still had in the 80s only it's a sex chair and it's like that's kind of like what the vibe is if you've seen the chair so um i mean i always like to think about him he's like an old friend um and it is it's interesting to see where my head goes but um uh, we haven't proved any misogynist man wrong at this point and so it's kind of like oh it's, it's a slippery slope i mean we have the game is so the, the stakes are high here people we've got some really high quality stuff uh, what can i say i'm just having to clarify with my bertie who's sitting here cleaning his own behind right now that you're not named after that bertie I wouldn't do that. Sorry, Bertie. Not oh, Bertie. Fat, fat sex harness dude. You're named after his <laughs> grandson. It's okay. Uh, we watched The Crown for the first time and he uh, he farted when he saw Jared Watts' face portrayal of George VI. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm just, I've got to lower the bar here. So whose story was this again? Mine. Sorry. James. 
So the chair was built so he could have sex with two women at once. How does that work? Unless he's going to sprout another cock. What? <laughs> well, we, we, so we used to say that it was uh, built so that he could have uh, sex with two women at once. And I mean, I will, you know, here we go as a professional sex historian. Let us not, let us not, you know, forget that sex is not necessarily penises and vaginas. There is a whole realm of sex which exists. Um, some, if they are in the church, might call it sodomy. Uh, but other people just call it a really nice Friday night, you know? So perhaps, <laughs> you know, you, you can be having more than one kind of sex with more than one person. Marcus's face then was like, mm, Saturday, surely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, Tuesday at any time. Uh, but you know, Friday also, only? Uh, yeah, it, it, it used to be like a big thing where people would, would always talk about the chair and they would, you know, kind of like draw stick fingers over it and be like, how? I, I'm not really sure how this works for two people, but we've since, um, changed our minds on that one and we think that it was maybe just to make things easier for him. It was more of an orthopedic sex chair is I think the, the, the going theory on it. I think against all that I know I should be doing. I've just Googled Edward the seventh sex chair. <laughs> what the fuck, man? So it doesn't so it look like your dad's couch though. Doesn't it look it like does. your dad's so, what, so he sits on the main bit and someone's lying underneath. I don't and- know. <laughs> There's a oh, diagram where it suggests she's lying on the top bit. He's standing, obviously doing his bit. And I know when the second, the, when it was thought to be with two people, there was possibility of the one woman lying underneath, possibly playing with his um, genitalia. Is that how you do it, James? That's what we want to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't kiss and tell, or not live on air anyway. You know what I love? If you Google, if you do Google Edward the Seventh sex jet. The, the diagram that comes up, right, is outstanding. I'm going to screenshot it and put it up with the podcast because it shows a cat banging a bird that's lying in the sex chair, but they've given him a top hat in the cartoon. And like I said, the family that built it say it's still in use <laughs> within the family. That's looking forward to seeing you know the what I would not want to do <laughs> is pass one of those black lights over it. Oh. <laughs> oh, I think Beth is sick in her mouth. Even, even looking at a rugby person, and even he looks like he's just been sick in his mouth. Uh, I'm just concerned looks our nans had one. If it looks so much like our nans' chairs, maybe all of our nans had one and we never knew. Yeah. It's going to take a lot to shop, um, having spent so much time with, uh, British squaddies and, and the chair is, pretty tame when you've woken up next to one of your uh, your mates going at a bunk bed next to you so so far no. yeah <laughs> and do you know who else doesn't look perturbed by any of this which says a lot about southern spain is kate <laughs> uh, no, i um i worked with the military for a few years so i haven't woken up next to my mate going at it in a bunk bed but i have seen some pretty horrific sights yeah Go on then, give, mm. us yours. give us your greatest sexcapade in history, Kate. So that considered, I'm not sure my greatest sexcapade is, is that great, but let's see. Um, so some of the guys who've been uh, with us for a while or some of the like long-time listeners might, might remember, I've made a case for a tiny dick before. <laughs> um, that one was Napoleon's. This time it's tiny dicks, plural. And we're traveling back to 12th century China to specifically to the Jin and Song dynasties, 
They're better known for their series of conflict or uh, imaginatively named the Jinsong Wars. However, it seems they weren't so occupied with fighting that they didn't have at least a little time for some hanky-panky. Nowadays, sadly, for the women in China, Chinese knobs measure up as less than average. Less of a trouser snake, more of a trouser worm, really. I don't know whether this was the case in the 12th century, but I do have my suspicions. Men in China during the Jin and Song era probably realised they weren't especially well-blessed and decided they needed a bit of help to keep their tiny stiffies going at least a little bit longer. You know, some extra... So, enter the cock ring. Not especially unusual. Nothing really weird about that, okay? However, as far as I'm aware... 12th century China wasn't well known for its use of silicon, rubber or stainless steel. So what do you think they made these cock rings from? Well, they made them from the eyelids of goats. How romantic. The luxury versions even had the eyelashes still attached, you know, for extra pleasure, apparently. Well, not having a penis myself, I can't be sure. But I'm fairly confident when I say these cock rings probably served their purpose of delaying ejaculation rather better than expected. Because I doubt sticking his love muscle through the eye of a goat is exactly going to help a dude get hard on, let alone actually shoot his load. I'm sure the ladies of 12th century China were thrilled. And just in case any of you are curious, apparently, and I haven't checked, you can still buy natural goat eyelid cock rings if you look on the right websites. I'm not sure what's worse, shagging through the eye of a goat or coming across a herd of one-eyed goats. Oh, my God. Uh, Zach, are you into cock rings? <laughs> I can't say I am. I'm sorry if that's a disappointment, but uh, no, this is, this is actually a new one on me. Um, Normally, you apologise for disappointment afterwards. <laughs> you mean, you've got a new goat eyelid cock ring on? Is that what you... <laughs> well, you just got that one, didn't I? <laughs> I laughed for her pleasure. Do you know the only thing that disappoints me with this story is that I couldn't find a way to get more uh, ridiculous ways to describe hard-on's ejaculation and the like. I oh, just, no, that's not the biggest problem with this story. <laughs> not even <laughs> close. <laughs> I d- I, I, the mechanics of this, I don't see how it would work. I'm probably thinking about this far far too kind of forensically. But Please enlighten us. <laughs> but particularly the eyelash thing. It's it's not conducive to to helping you, like you said, kind of shoot your wad. It's, it's just... <laughs> Eyelashes aren't meant for you, selfish bird. But they're meant for the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Zach is having a whole new world open to him. Yes, Zach, the cock ring is not for you necessarily. Well, I mean, no, the, yeah, exactly. It's meant for for the lady. It's meant to delay you so that you don't shoot your load quite so soon. And you know, the extra eyelash things are meant to tickle her fancy, I suppose. What I love is that Zach's taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's to be a diligent judge. Um, 
<laughs> Lucky's just looking. Uh, yeah, Andy's showing the pictures. Oh. Uh, Eleanor. Oh, no. Eleanor, what would possess them to, to, if you like, you think, right, if I strap something around my penis, it will make me last longer. What mm. can I use? How do you get to goat's eye? Yeah, I mean, that's a really specific uh, jump there that I'm not necessarily sure I can make. And this is one of these things where it's like, you know, the past is a different country, right? I've like, I'm, I have never, for example, looked at uh, goat's eyelashes and thought uh, sexual things but here we are we're all we're all learning we're all learning tonight so um i gotta give points to this one because it's like this is new um i've definitely seen for example um ancient well medieval uh chinese cock rings and that sort of thing made out of jade and that which are hilariously sometimes um, auctioned as thumb rings but uh, <laughs> not always. I'm not saying that every time you see a Chinese thumb ring, it's, it is a cock ring, but often they are. Uh, so this is kind of a new one to me. But it's just sort of like, I suppose, like maybe one simply has just a lot of goat eyelashes around the pl- I, I don't know, man. Like, um, on the other hand, I don't, good for her. Like, <laughs> just like, that's nice. You know, nice for them. I guess if you are skin and a lot of goats, maybe you just have the stuff around. Not sure. Not sure. I think certainly. I think if she's done nothing else tonight, Kate has. There's a whole load of disappointed men of Chinese extraction listening to this thing or shaking their fists at their uh, device right now, listening to this podcast. Eleanor, is there any evidence to suggest? Um, I mean, I think if, uh, so here's a problem with, this is like one of these like historical objects, right? That, um, it wouldn't necessarily last, right? Because it's the kind of thing that kind of can corrode over time. Um, on the other hand, I think I've heard something about this before. Um. Oh no, I'm sorry. Can I just, the, the, the available now goat eyelid cock rings, I don't believe they are from the self 12th century. I think they are newly made. Goat eyelid. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I've got to be more Sorry. I mean, that would be totally gross using a cockring from the 12th century. Ew. Lockie, are you on eBay? I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of like you know, if you've got like one of those like very like nice kind of jade cockrings from the 12th century. I mean, like who's with the wonder of bleach? I'm sure that you, things would be fine. Um, <laughs> which died? We need to compare the 12th century goat to now. It's like yeah, yeah. Like it could tell us a lot about animal husbandry, if nothing else. Um, you know, it's just you know, your kink is not my kink, and that's okay, as as we say. Um, I'm not sure that it's uh, my number one thing. Uh, yeah, yeah I, but but I, I I eat meat, so I feel like really kind of bad at like going in and being like, here, this is odd, <laughs> you know? Right? So it's just like. Eh. I don't know who am I to say. Who am I to say? I'm just a giant. I'm a massive hypocrite who, uh, you know, eats animals all the time. So, um, I mean, I suppose I kind of go in on the uh, if you're going to kill an animal, you should probably use all of it. And you know, here we go. <laughs> Zach so is still shaking his head in absolute amazement. Zach, is this because you've just learned what a cock ring's for, or because you're still taking it from the goat eyelid? Both, actually. Um... <laughs> How is this meant to help with any of the issues? It just doesn't make any bloody sense. (laughs) He's trying to pause that. He's so logical and methodical in his academia that he's looking for a route how you got from premature ejaculation 
to a goat's eye wrapped around your cock and he can't <laughs> fill in the steps. A statistical there. historian, for Christ's sake. <laughs> this this that, doesn't have you heard of any the, level. Uh, I can't put this into a spreadsheet and I really don't want to anyway. <laughs> He's a gentleman rhymer. He's got a song that's very relevant for us, which is you just can't fuck a goat these days. It'll end up on your fake Facebook page. I'll send it to you later. I just destroyed I'd rather my, you didn't, Marcus, to be honest. I've just destroyed my search history in discovering that there's a YouTube video entitled How to Use a Goat Eyelid Cockring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. This is not Jess good. Reed. Jess Reed. Dorman's like, I knew someone would watch it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> it's fist bumping. This is doing nothing for Clive's wife's impression of us, is it? Right, okay. And... Sadly, I've left the rugby player, the depraved kit, um, the army dude, and the Jesuit educated bloke are among, and the Irishman are among the last ones to go. So this isn't going to get any less <laughs> depraved, is it, as we go along? Let's go to Clive uh, while he tells us a story that didn't happen to him at boarding school. And no, but it was by someone who's about someone who's educated by Jesuits as well, which is a good thing. I'm a little bit trepidatious about doing this in front of Eleanor because she obviously knows far more about this chap than I do. But let's go. The Marquis de Sade, the apostle of evil, the daddy of deviancy, the prince of perversion, lived between 1740 and 1814. He was one of the most prolific writers of disturbing and not at all arousing obscene materials, but. Armand de Sade did not just talk the talk, he also walked the walk. He devoted his entire life to being a libertine and trying to persuade others to follow that course. I should start with a very necessary disclaimer. Sade spent half his life incarcerated, and rightly so. He did things that would make Jeffrey Epstein blush. They might even make Prince Andrew blush if he could. He raped, he abused, he had sex with minors. Naturally, the things he went to prison for and indeed was condemned to death for would not be crimes today. Social mores have changed. And while many of his activities would seem imprisoned uh, today, even if they didn't then, sodomy is not now a crime. A bit of law to place what follows into context. Sodomy was illegal in France until 1791. The heterosexual age of consent was 11 until 1863 when it was raised to 13 and then moved up to 15 in 1945. Rape, thankfully, always was a crime. Saad got married when he was 23 years old in 1763 to René Pégalé Gordia Delone, but by that time was already well into his family debauched lifestyle. He lived in the family chateau where he shagged the staff irrespective of his gender, not always just one at a time. He got married, then in addition to shagging the staff, he was also able to shag his sister-in-law and his wife, who surprisingly remained loyal to him through three pregnancies until, her, until they got divorced in 1790, 27 years later. Right, he was away and indisposed for much of that time, but she appears to have been, if at first reluctant, later a willing participant in his escapades. And that's the thing about Dessard. Yes, he liked cruelty, but what really got him off? As one can see from books such as Justine and Dialogue Between a Priest and a Dying Man, is the whole concept of the corruption of innocent, of bringing in the innocent around to his debauched and libertine lifestyle. 
Well, one can from his writings, particularly from his Magnus Opus, 120 Days of Sodom, imagine the nature of his nefarious doings. Court records give us particulars of some and probably only a fraction of what he got up to. His first appearances in court came around the time of his marriage when he had moved to live near Paris. Prostitutes complained to the police about his behaviour and the police kept him under supervision. Prosecutions and short terms of imprisonment followed and ultimately he was banished back to his chateau. The early charges against him included, included outrage to public decency, blasphemy and profanation of the image of Christ. I really don't want to know the details of that one. He really hit the big time when on Easter Sunday, 1768, he was wandering through the Palace of Victories in Paris, wearing a gray jacket with white ornamental cuffs, carrying a stylish cane and with an elegant hunting dagger on his belt. And he was, when he was approached by a 36 year old German widow, Rose Keller, who was begging for arms. He offered her one ecu if she would follow him. She did, thinking he was about to offer her a job as a housekeeper. He got her back to his gaff, which you'll recall was a chateau inhabited by a one-year-old child, possibly pregnant wife, sister-in-law and servants, and at knife point, whipped off her kit, threw her onto a divan, and tied her by, the by her forelimbs face down so she couldn't see behind her. And then he whipped her. Keller testified that he made various incisions into her body, into which he poured hot wax although investigators subsequently found no broken skin on her body, and Saad explained what, he, what he'd done was to apply ointment to her after whipping. What a caring soul he was. Keller finally escaped by climbing naked out of a second floor window and running away. The Saad family paid Rose to keep her quiet, but the wave of social embarrassment apparently damaged Saad's reputation. After this, his mother-in-law did what all good mother-in-laws would do, and obtained a letter of the cachet, a royal order of arrest and imprisonment without stated cause or access to the courts, from the king, which protected Saad from the jurisdiction of the courts. It basically meant that the king had the first dibs on him, thus making him susceptible to arrest by the king at any time, but allowing freedom from other courts. The original get-out-of-jail-free card, just what Prince Andrew could have done with. He didn't trouble the courts for a while after that, until four years later, he and his manservant, Latour, who seemed to play a big role in all of this, were forced to flee. They had, by all accounts, gone to Marseille, where they'd taken to visiting brothels and giving prostitutes presents of fine handmade chocolates presented in crystal boxes. They staged tableau involving prostitutes, on which Saad played director and star. He directed twosomes and threesomes into striking scenes of sodomization, homosexuality, congratulation, and to break the monotony, as it were, normal heterosexual activity. The downside was that the chocolates were laced with Spanish fly and poisoned poor sex workers, causing to vomit black gunge, black gunge all over the knocking shop. The real offence was in the minds of the authorities. The real offence in the minds of the authorities was the sodomy, which occurred between Saad and the Tur during their recreation. The two men were sentenced to death for that, never mind the poisoning. They fled to Whitley, Saad taking his wife's sister with him. Saad and Latour were caught and imprisoned for a while in French Savoy, but escaped four months later. Being on the run, he did the obvious thing and went home and hid in his own chateau because no one else would think of looking for him there. In 1774, he trapped six children, including one boy in his chateau, for six weeks, during which time he subjected them to abuse which his wife, now willing accomplice and a mother of three herself, allowed. 
He kept a group of young employees at the chateau, most of whom complained about molestation and quickly left his service. He forced to flee to Italy again. Then he returned, again hired several servant girls, most of whom soon fled. The father came back and tried to shoot him, but his gun misfired. He was eventually tricked into visiting Paris and arrested in a prison, first in Vincennes and then in the Bastille. This was his most productive period for writing. He was moved out of the Bastille days before it was stormed and left behind and thought he had lost the manuscript of 100, um, 120 days of Sodom. Luckily, it was saved, although Sard was apparently never aware of the fact. Released by the revolution, Sard became a fervent revolutionary. He was elected to the National Convention until Robespierre had him arrested for moderatism, very appropriately, as a result of critical pamphlets that he'd been writing. With Robespierre's de demise, he was released, but was destitute. His wife then divorced him, and he continued to write anonymously until Bonaparte came along. Now, Bonaparte's got many detractors, but it's hard to argue with his decision to imprison Dessart. Dessart's family were, however, successful in having him certified as insane, and he was placed in an insane asylum for the rest of his life. But that didn't stop him. He wrote and directed and produced plays in the asylum, all of which were of a questionable nature, and shacked up until his death with what began as a 14-year-old girl, Madeleine Leclerc. She was 18 when he died. Dessard was a philosopher, political theorist, novelist, and playwright. He's been described as the French Shakespeare. Although much of his work has been lost, a considerable volume survives. Much of it was not published until the 20th century. His reputation was salvaged, partially thanks to the work of his descendants from the 1960s onwards. He also apparently wrote kind, loving letters to his wife. At the same time, he was depraved in a manner rarely documented since ancient times. But if we look at him today, is he an Epstein or a Weinberg, or is he something else? I think my thought is that he's more likely not to have been an Epstein or a Weinberg. They were people like them and Savile were secretive and relied upon that secrecy. The Sard was a propagandist for libertinism. I suspect today he would have been a foul, creepy man making elaborate group sex pornography and always ensuring a leading role for himself. For all his failings, he remained true to his philosophy and certainly practice what he's preached. Fuck them all. He certainly tried. <laughs> oh, he was bound to bound to come up, wasn't he? Zach, learn anything new there? Sadly, not particularly, because what people don't particularly realise for a military historian is that sexual assault is kind of part of the course. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was struck by what Clive said about how rape was a crime, but it was actually something that was very rarely prosecuted both within military courts and, and within society more broadly. Okay. And although it is a harrowing book, if people want to actually understand how society dealt with the concept of sexual assault um, during this period, George Vigorello's A History of Rape is a harrowing read, but it's worth reading. And Eleanor's probably got some far more erudite observations on that than, than I can offer. For me, this was the kind of thing that I was expecting. Um, a, a kind of debaucherous... Um, kind of guy paying people to keep quiet, all of the things that you kind of expect from this period. But I'm just not sure that we can class it as the greatest sexcapade when you've got paedophilia in here. Um, so I'm sorry, Clive, but I'm, I'm just not convinced that we can encourage this kind of thing. 
Is he just a bit too ick, Eleanor? Yeah. And I really want to be favourable to Clive tonight, but I'm I'm sorry, I I just... I think that it's almost impossible to have a wide-ranging discussion um, of uh, about sex history without talking about the Marquis de Sade. Um, I, you know, it's very, very difficult to not because, uh, you know, his work has had this particularly profound impact, obviously, on even the way that we talk about, you know, you know we still say sadomasochism. We still say, you know, S&M for things, you know, so it's still um, a common parlance and it's still a common way that... Um, we talk about sexuality even now having said that it's like yeah you know you you kind of most people when they first sort of like start learning about the Marquis de Sade you know you kind of like read the plays and you go oh yeah yeah so here's some uh, things in the way that he's shaped the modern world but yeah you get into the fact that it's just like this is just straight up you know pedophilia my man you know and it stops being a lot less fun um but i think that is one of the great um and useful things about sex history is that you know really when it's done right we use it to kind of like shine a light on our world and the way that we have uh you know built sexuality or um you know our relationship to sexuality even now and i mean one of the things that we can say about this for example is you know um as clive just said you know um yeah, so rape was something that is very rarely prosecuted and it's really something that, you know, didn't come up. That's still true now. You know, like, I, it, it would be really nice to say, well, that's something that was resigned to the past, but it's absolutely certainly the case even within uh, military courts and we know certainly within the military now. Um, and it's certainly the truth within society. You know, we have only to look at um, examples, for example, of like the Chet Evans case to see why women are very reluctant to come forward uh, with rape and how um, fairly uh, easy it is to get off from it because, you know, it, unlike other crimes, you know, no one says, oh, um, I heard you let someone borrow your car last week. So how do I know this man hasn't stolen it? And yet, you know, that's how we still relate to sexuality. Um, so studying the Marquis de Sade is always useful because it does help us kind of like relate to certain conceptions about um you know, sexual contagion, the idea that, you know, um, people can, can be corrupted, that there are these massive corrupting forces, that sex is always this kind of negative thing that it will threaten to overtake us. And it's really easy for us to say, oh, well, that's not necessarily true. And then the Marquis de Sade is here to say, yeah, I'm trying to corrupt society. That's what I'm doing. This is my stated goal. Um, and so it is always useful to have a check in with him. Um, but, you know, it's also, you, you want to keep him a little bit at arm's length, I think. We can't just uh, give him a rubber stamp because he's done some things that are kind of fun. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Yeah, Zach, how much of... So, Eleanor, I don't know if you know, but Zach's thing is crime and punishment in the Napoleonic army. Well, in the British army at the time. Zach, how much of it... How many sex offences do you see or do they just not get reported? Well, I've been through 9,500 cases, give or take a little bit. Uh, I have two cases of uh, trials for rape, two of um, child rape, and I have 13 cases of homosexuality being tried. There are um, ambiguous catch-all charges that are used, you know, assault, which will range anything from lamping someone to actual sexual assault, um, where we can't be sure exactly what happened but there was possibly a, a sexual element in there, but it's, it's minuscule. Yeah. Um, Dorman's saying he's got two in Ireland for the whole of the 18th century in his research. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the records are missing, but there's one case at the beginning where the guy basically gets off fairly scot-free because he's, his dad is an important engineer. So this young lieutenant does something terrible, and uh, then he essentially gets off with it. And then there's another guy further on, but for most of the time, it's just there's nothing really about it. And what I particularly see is that it's not the officers who get tried. So where officers are on trial for homosexuality, actually what they're facing trial for is on officer-like conduct because it's a different construct of the crime there. It's about honour, inverted commas, rather than the the act itself. Um, and, and it's never explicitly stated as sexual assault or homosexuality or whatever it might be. And equally, in those cases, the two cases that I mentioned where rape is stated as the charge the punishments that are issued i think one actually gets off on a technicality the other he gets something like 500 lashes now that sounds pretty horrendous but for context if you were a deserter you'd easily get a thousand lashes or 1200 lashes Um, that would be kind of part of the course so the way in which it's conceived as an offense is clearly seemed far inferior to something like desertion the guys that i found they were ended up put in the stocks which it's clearly about shame as opposed to punishment. Mark exactly. wants to know, Dorman, is is the two cases because the army is so well behaved in Ireland. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> this is drunken, Marcus. Just ignore <laughs> Marcus has moved on to, what are you on now, Scotch? He's on mute, I know that. <laughs> yeah, he's just, get, he's just getting drunk. Um, I mean, from a scientific uh, perspective, um, before of uh, sort of more modern science, um, there was a huge influence by uh, certain Greek and um, or Greek Greek aligned um, physicians, uh, Galen and his contemporaries. And one of his contemporaries, uh, I mean, essentially creates a massive problem for women uh, when it comes to rape, because they teach that women can only give birth if they experience pleasure. So, of course, you face this situation um, throughout the Middle Ages where if there's no baby, there's no evidence there's rape. If there's a baby, the woman clearly enjoyed it and therefore <laughs> it's not rape. Yeah, and then there you also within the the medieval period the way that rape is related to is not necessarily as though um you know you have injured a woman, uh the, it's not as seen as like oh well you've done something really terrible to a woman and she is traumatized by this that's a crime, mm-hmm. um it is seen as a property case and when it is brought to uh, trial it's often brought to trial um because someone has a a wounded a man so it'll be uh, you've offended this woman's father if she's unmarried or you've offended this fa- this 
so a woman's husband if she's married. So the mm. idea is actually it will be treated as a property case. You've damaged his property. And so, for example, Aquinas would say um, that the way that he relates to rape is that um, rape isn't rape. So, so say a man rapes an unmarried woman. If he then goes to her parents later and says, well, I'd like to marry her. And they say, yes, okay, you can marry her. She was not raped. Yeah. That, that's just, that's, that's just it. It was, uh, it, be, it becomes kind of like fornication before wedlock, but then it's sort of like pre, it's retroactively made okay. Um, because, uh, fundamentally, uh, women's sexuality is something that is owned and controlled by men and it has to be thought of in such a way. So it's even when we, we do look at, you know, rape in the medieval period, it's not, it's not something that has to do with um, an offense against women at all. It has to do about uh, men offending other men. Um, and, you know, we see this, for example, even in places that should be kind of like jolly, right? So if we um, read the Canterbury Tales, um, if you read the Reeves tale, there's um, a, a miller basically rips a couple of students off um, and he's trying to charge them too much for some flour that was ground. So um, they get his wife and daughter falling down, passed out drunk and rape both of them. And it's like, oh, ha ha, it's funny, Japes. It's, oh, we got our money back from the the miller. That'll show him for trying to steal flour from us. And it's like, yeah, cool. We're just doing violence to women to get back at men. Cool, cool, cool. And it's like, oh, it's all funny. It's really funny that that happened, you know. Um, so, yeah, I got a lot to say. I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> Sorry, I got, a, I got a lot to say. I got a lot to say. Sorry. The other factor within all of this is an assumption of promiscuity on the part of the women. And one of the things yeah. that... Um, really, I, I had to put the book down after reading this when I was reading what I mentioned earlier, George Vigorello's book, was the account of um, a paedophile who does face trial and he has assaulted this, I think she was an 11-year-old girl, and he had an STI. And one of the situations in which people were often convicted of paedophilia was if they had passed on that STI. And he was still, he had done that, but he was still able to get off because he talked about this kind of her promiscuous nature and how she had somehow seduced him. This is an 11-year-old kid we're talking about. So uh, it's very difficult to not kind of just look at something like this. And I'm sorry, Clive, I just go mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I think that, as Eleanor said, is he's a talking point that had to come up in a history of sex and talking about sex, sex capades, because Lord knows he had enough of them, but he is ick. Uh, let's go to, let's lighten it up. Uh, and I know, I know someone who will do this for us because they'll have bonkers absolute madness for us. Kit, what have you got? I have got bonkers absolute madness for you. Um, I even picked sort of two stories. I wasn't entirely sure which way to go. I could have gone with Oscar Kokoschka and his Alma Mala sex doll, which is one hell of a story. Um, Oscar Kokoschka and his, um, his, his, his weird doll. And, and basically someone, he asked someone to make a sex doll of his ex-lover and they basically made it out of swan and sawdust. And, uh, and he had a wheel, wheel of a time with it. But I've decided to go with something even grander. Um, so here is the three-word pitch, if you're ready. Indonesian sex mountain. Um, this is the tale of Mount Kamukas. Uh, also known as the Sex Mountain. It's an ongoing scandal in Indonesia, but we're going to focus on the story that got us to what is effectively the largest monthly orgy on Earth. Um, So we begin in 16th century Java, and it is that classic tale of boy meets mum. The boy in question was Prince Pangaran Samodro, 
Um, and he was the son of the Sultan of Damak, a kingdom from 1475 to 1554, which introduced Islam to the area, particularly around Java. The origins of the Sultanate are actually clouded in mystery, but they had a pretty rocky time of it. And constantly they were at war with the arriving Portuguese under Alfonso de Albuquerque, the governor of Goa, who fancied claiming the entire East Indies. Anyway, as a ruler of an Islamic kingdom, the Sultan of Damak kept a harem and had many wives. And one of the most beautiful and alluring of the harem girls was Nai Ontruwalan. Uh, Samodro fell in love and soon stepmom and son were doing the beast with two backs, blending adultery, incest and treason into a big sweaty Javan love puddle. <laughs> Knowing that they were going to be caught if they kept bonking around the palace... Uh, the couple absconded and fled to Mount Kamakas, hoping to evade Daddy and his guards. Now, here the couple began to engage in what is described as the lewdest sex act the world has ever seen. Uh, the details aren't covered, but they decide to do it seven times. Unfortunately for Samodro uh, and Ontruilan, on the seventh go of it, mid-coitus, the Damak guards arrive uh, and see them doing whatever it is they're doing. They get chased around the mountain, Benny Hill style. Um, they are killed and they are buried together in one hole. Now, that would have been that, except rumours very quickly begin to spread in the area and then beyond. Now, Java has a mix of Hinduism, Buddhism and Islam. And soon the legend arose that while Samodro managed to finish up with his mummy Minj Spunkathon, um, poor old Ontruilan still needed to reach climax. And thus, by the 19th century, it was said that whoever could come and do an even greater, dirty, crazerous, adulterous, taboo sex on the mountain uh, would receive her personal blessing. Uh, this must be done on Jumat Pon, which is the Friday of the Gregorian calendar that meets the five days of the Javan calendar. Good news, everyone. Jumat Pon happens every 35 days. Uh, so if you can have kinky sex on the mountain on seven consecutive Jumat Pons and complete whatever the hell it was that Samodro and Ontrulan were doing, the couple will bestow long life, riches and happiness upon you. Basically, you get the blessing that they never had. So today, the entire mountain is a mosque. It's Islamic. Um, originally, pilgrims up the mountain would hook up under trees. But since the 1980s, it has become a site of hostels and karaoke bars and little red curtains that you can draw uh, over handy cubby holes all around this mosque. Uh, devout Muslims uh, from all across Indonesia arrive at the mountain, housewives in hijabs uh, who feel unsatisfied, businessmen saying they're on a trip, uh, prostitutes and lovers who just fancy a naughty hookup. Now, some people will know each other and are having adulterous affairs, but mostly it is a bunch of strangers who just turn up to the mountain and throw their proverbial car keys in the pot. The whole day is ritualistic. Uh, first, the pilgrims pray and are blessed at the mosque. Then they pray again at the grave of the lovers. And yes, this is all Islamic prayers, um, after which they ritualistically wash themselves in sacred springs. At sundown, they swan off to find a friend for the night, then go and do basically the dirtiest thing they can think of in the hope of completing Samodro and Ontruilan's fresh take on the Kama Sutra. Now, this is not a small scale thing. Around 10,000 people turn up each Jumat Pon, um, although an estimated 75% of the women are are sex workers or part-time sex workers and usually there are a few men spare who don't find a partner and just kind of leave depressed in the morning everyone quickly heads off so they can't be identified except of course the working girls who are smart enough to go to an sti clinic for a hiv test and a checkup 
and good on them, frankly, because the men don't wear condoms and the whole place is apparently rife with disease. The Indonesian government have repeatedly tried to clamp down. In 2014, uh, the Australians made a documentary about this place and the governor banned visits because it was becoming too popular. Um, the local Muslim community is also t- said to absolutely hate it. But the truth is, there is a massive business here. So much so, the government has started to charge the equivalent of 50p for every car that goes up the mountain. At best guess, it's making around £50,000 a year for its sex mountain toll booth. Anyway, there you have it. Uh, Samodro and Entrewilan killed while doing something so taboo, it started an Islamic get-rich-quick shagging cult. And if that isn't the most epic sex act in history, I don't know what is. It's pretty epic. Lockie wants to know if the Sex Mountain has a rugby club nearby, because I think he's ready to uh, pack his back. <laughs> Zach, you fancy a bit of Sex Mountain? Uh, I don't fancy a bit of Sex Mountain, but I have to say Kit is the history hack postman. He always delivers. I, uh, For a lot of this, I was having to watch Eleanor's face very closely because I was prepared to call bullshit, but actually there were some sage nods that made me think this might actually be legitimate. Um, it's It's pretty incredible. I, I don't have any questions. I'm not sure I want to probe any deeper, if, if I'm being really <laughs> honest. <laughs> Eleanor? And so I've, I've seen the uh, Australian documentary on this. <laughs> so, I thought you were uh, going to say you'd been then, because that would have um, no, been I'm like not, everyone I, in the room would have bowed down to you. I have, I have yet to uh, go to Indonesia. Um, it does make some... Um, it does also make some sense within the context of some Islamic sexual practices as well, um, you know, because there are a lot more, especially uh, before the rise of Wahhabism, uh, for example, which is kind of the way that we tend to deal with the, con- the concept of Islam now. So we tend to relate to everything through the lens of Wahhabism, which is a very, very new um, product um, of society. You know, it's only really been since the 1970s or so that this particular iteration has been around. Um, and for many, many years, um, Islam was much, much more like the, the cool party sex religion, uh, really. And, uh, there would be, a, there are in a lot of Islamic cultures, so things like a temporary marriage, which kind of like make it okay to shag. And that's absolutely fine. Um, in the medieval period, there's a lot of tension um, with the rise of Islam and in places that live near large um, Muslim communities and that sort of thing being like, oh no, everyone's going to convert to Islam because there's way more shagging and fun and it's just so much more fun than Christianity and Christianity is when you never get to shag. There's all these rules you're never ever allowed to shag but the Islamic people are just absolutely getting down and writing hot poetry about it. Oh no, and it's like this existential crisis, right? So it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, Indonesia shagging mountains sounds great uh we love a bit of that uh i mean my my major critique is like come on people wrap it up wrap it up like um always great and good praxis you know to if you're going if you're going to go to a nice party you know you wear special clothing right you might wear a tux you might wear a special dress um you know what why would um a gentleman's penis be any different why would you not wrap that up uh, for a special occasion so this is my major issue with this story is I think that we could have some slightly better um, praxis. Um, I love to see sex workers get paid. The the S girls come at it, come with it. Um, I understand uh, that one of the issues with the area is that it's basically just uh, sex tourism uh, writ large, but you know, get paid, get paid. Fleece tourists out of money. We love to see it. Yes. And they're all having a nice time. Fine. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. That's my critique. My critique. Please don't judge it on, on what's going on currently. This is a history podcast. Please judge it on the historic acts 
that led to this for sex cults. And I mean, and that, that historic act, like, you know, that's how I hope to go out someday is inspiring a sex cult um, that will sustain a local economy after my death. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Eleanor, you must be familiar as well with the uh, with the Kokoschka sex doll. That must have come up across your mind. Yes, I was like, I was excited because I was like, ah, it's like, we're going to do it. But um, I've, I've only heard, uh, I've only heard a little bit about it. But it's just, yeah, the sawdust and swan skin. Where Go you're on, like, hmm. Give it to oh, do, you, do you want the full version? Go on then. Am I getting two? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You can't mention a sex doll made out of swan and sawdust and then move on from that. Just because I've got a realistic head of Amelia Clark at home, everyone thinks I'm. Uh, um, yeah, I, I genuinely I do, um, but let's not get into that. Um, okay, so Oscar Kukos- is what creeps me out. Well, she's put she's put a, a pillow on it to hide it, so it's fine. Um, so Oscar Kokoschka and uh, the Almamala sex doll. Um, and I'm really sad to do this one because Austria-Hungary is going to get a second win, which is more than they got in the entire First World War. But never mind. Um, so. This is Austria-Hungary in 1916 and the passionate creative forces in the country, uh, the artists and the composers. There is an artist called Oskar Kokoschka and he is an expressionist, uh, an artist and a playwright. Uh, Alma Mahle is a wonderful composer, but her hus- uh, composer, but her husband Gustav has just died. Uh, now Alma makes up for heartbreak by basically fucking around. And fair enough, as far as I'm concerned. When her first daughter dies, she starts an, an, an affair with a guy called Walter Gropius. And she uh, soon gets rid of the blues uh, with, with basically cock. Um, she is a beautiful woman. And she's got one daughter still alive. But her husband, hubby is dead and she's feeling randy. And so she falls in with Kokoschka. The two start a two-year passionate, crazy affair. It is hot, hot, hot. Um, they don't get married in a fever like Johnny and June Cash. Um, but they are just completely passionate. Kokoschka is totally in love and uses Alma as his muse. Uh, Kokoschka's mum... Uh, gets wind of this and actually threatens to shoot Alma if she doesn't leave her boy alone, you hussy. Um, but uh, World War One comes along and Kokosha goes to war. Now, rather than just wait at home and not enjoy mummy's favourite pastime, Alma instead uh, meets Gropius again, who's just back on leave, and the couple hit it off. Uh, she is done with Kokoschka, she leaves him, and she marries Gropius. But it turns out that Kokoschka isn't quite done with her. Uh, so in 1918, well, in 1916, sorry, he gets discharged from the from the army for suffering a major brain in- injury uh, in the Ukraine. And he resettles in Dresden in Germany. Um, and in 1918, finding out about Alma Mahler not loving him anymore, he commissions a doll maker, uh, Hermine Muse, and asks her uh, to make him an Alma Mahler sex doll. Um, and not just any doll. He has specific requests, detailed, detailed requests, elaborate exacting maps and schemes of exactly what he wants. And I quote, pay special attention to the dimensions of the head and neck, to the rib cage, to the rump and the limbs, and take to heart the contours of the body, the neckline, the curve of the belly. For the first layer inside, please use fine curly horsehair. You must buy an old sofa or something similar. Have the horsehair disinfected for me. Then, over that, a layer of pouches stuffed with down, cotton wool for the seat and breasts. Um, now, Moose reads all this. She is an expert doll maker, but she is having none of this pervy shit. Um, she needs money, though, so she makes the doll, but she does the shoddiest job she can. She creates a goddamn abomination. 
Uh, it is a doll made of sawdust and swan skin with the feathers still attached. Um, half dead faced woman, half bird. It looks like a sort of weird satyr puppet from Greek mythology. It is horrific. It's so bad that Kokoschka's butler uh, is said to have had a stroke when he saw it. It's vile. Um, the outer shell is a polar bear pelt uh, suitable for shaggy imitation beside rug other than the soft and pliable skin of a woman, complains Kokoschka. The result is I cannot even dress the doll, which you knew was my intention, let alone array her in delicate and precious robes. Even attempting to pull on one stocking would be asking a French dancing master to waltz with a polar bear. But you know what? Kokoschka's randy as hell. He's still in a fever. He still wants the doll. He very quickly grows to love it. He paints pictures of it, several pictures with himself, uh, demented, horrific images. He hires a maid so that she can dress it for him. He takes this thing to the opera. I'll send a picture around. It is bizarre. Um, a few years later, though, He's basically worked out his kinks with, with Alma and he's ready to move on. Uh, and so he's got this sex doll and he kind of needs to get rid of it. So he holds a party to kill it off. Um, he hires an orchestra. He gets all his mates around. Um, he gets a very famous courtesan uh, to come round and she asks if she can have a look at it and, and pose with it like a jealous lover um, and uh, asks him what, what, what things he's been getting up to with it. Um, but they all get drunk. The sex doll gets splashed around with wine, covered in red wine, um, and accidentally, during the party, they sever the fucking thing's head. Um, so they, they all have a hangover, they all have a, have a nap. In the morning, the police turn up um, because there is a severed head covered in red stains and this lumpy body uh, lying in the courtyard. Um, they think it's a murder, of course. They re- they're kind of relieved when they realise it's just this creepy-ass sex doll. Um, now, it probably doesn't surprise you, but uh, living in Germany in the 1930s, when the Nazis come into power, Kokoschka is labelled a degenerate. Uh, he flees to Czechia, uh, where he writes anti-Nazi pamphlets. Of course, Czech Republic eventually does, does become part of the, uh, the Nazi regime as well. It gets sort of taken over. But he does uh, flee. He becomes a British citizen, um, a CBE, in fact, and he dies in 1980. Uh, Alma herself, uh, the, the, the person who inspired the doll, she doesn't stay with, with, uh, with Gropish yet. She marries again and eventually moves to New York. There you go. I am just about to share a picture of the creepy ass sex doll with everybody because it is creepy. It's magnificent, it's isn't it? Like a corpse. Oh, what the? <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's like half corpse, half swan. Amazing. That is grotesque. Zach sketching what looked like a design for his own sex doll halfway through that story. No, just just no. And um, initially, I thought this was kind of an elaborate cover for kind of Kit's acquisition of the Amelia Clark head. So again, I was inclined to call bullshit on this one. Um, and and halfway through with the swan skin, I kind of wondered if there were if inspiration had been taken from Clive's recent story about wiping your ass with goose necks or, or whatever. Um, but, but no, I'm, I'm convinced that it's legitimate. It's, it's interesting. It's got a lot of what you'd kind of want from an epic sex story. I, I think it's beaten by the Indonesian sex mountain, to be honest with you, but it's, it's a strong contender. Fair play, Kim. <laughs> Well, I mean, if I can land number one and number two, I'll be happy. 
I feel like it, this is a very good story. Uh, we always love to see a creepy sex doll. Um, I'm of the opinion that most dolls are creepy. Uh, but, you know, we can't say that it has inspired any sex cults that I've seen. So, you know, is it more epic? Because you look baffled by it, Kit does have a 3D printed Amelia Clark head. Yeah, I, I do. I should, say, I should say that that's for, for it's, it's not for, it's not a sex doll or anything like that. It, it is a, a, um, it, it's a, a lot of yeah. people are asking questions about my Amelia Clark head, which have already been answered by my statement that it is not a sex doll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a scientific experiment, damn it. Oh, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a cosplay kind of thing. I was making a, a cosplay and, and some, Guy had uh, essentially a silicon mask of Amelia Clark's head, and not uh, getting better, not (laughs) making any better. And it was like I liked you until five seconds ago. (laughs) Was that before or after you added the goat eyelashes to it? Was that? (laughs) Oh, oh yeah, the the, the eyelashes were a mistake. I'm not going to lie. I've I've got rid of the eyelashes. They, they, yeah, they were terrifying. Um, I'm I'm, 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 I'm just going to shut up. I'm, I'm digging a hole here. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm old and I don't understand some of these modern things, but could you explain what the difference is between cosplay and fetishism? <laughs> Zero. Move on. Nothing. <laughs> I, I mean, it is a Venn diagram, Clive. I'm not going to lie. Alina. I'm You're here. pretty depraved. What have you got? Well, I want to thank this, because um, actually, funny enough, my friend Nicola Lambert, she's a... Uh, working on uh victorian sex at the moment so i want to thank her for this one because it came to me and i was like yes what is the best way to make beth and zach blush by using very descriptive words so i'm going to do exactly that um the downside is (laughs) well this is the start the downside is this book is um the more the sexual morality behind it is a bit off and I know you know where I'm going with this. Um, in the Victorian period, um, the guy, we don't even know who he is. No idea. No idea who this person is. All we know is that he's called Walter. Uh, and he wrote an 11 volume, uh, book set of My Secret Life. Um, spans over seven years, started in, uh, they say 1888. Historians have been battling it out, trying to discover who he is. Nobody knows shit, basically. Um, he pretty much shags everyone, uh, upstairs, downstairs, married women, um, and pretty much writes about his sex cafe. So I'm going to read some stuff out to you just because I want to make the, uh, these guys blush. So what he does is he meets up with, uh, with a friend of his who's a doctor and they start talking about virginity. So I'm, I'm, this is me reading now. So I asked him to explain one to me on a woman and he did. We went home with the same women. They were astonished. For instead of pulling our pricks out, we both merely felt and looked at them, and he gave me a full lecture. It was an odd sight to see him explaining the situation of a virginity. I holding a candle to see better. One of the girls roared with laughter. The others fancied they had some ailments. When they found out he was a doctor, he gave them advice. I don't mean ailments of their cunts. We did not fuck either of the women. From reading his descriptions, his sketches, and what he pointed out on three different cunts, I felt satisfied that I should know a virgin, and told Camille what I had done. She was then good enough to point out to me on her own cunt, 
where her virginity had been as far as she could recollect it. She was quite sure about Louise and explained that girls being with their parents in France were all well watched. Do you guys want me to continue? Because, I mean, I can stop right here. It kind of it does go into more detail. Dying. I just, I just, it's <laughs> two words. Two words. Do it. <laughs> I mean, I can, well, I'm, 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 do you know what? Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to go down because there's, there's, hey, it's all right. Let me read this bit here. I met a woman in Regent Street. It was raining hard. Much as I still hesitated at going with strange gay women, I went home with her, threw her down with her clothes on. The instant I saw her cunt and almost before I could get my prick out, I spent all over her bum and thighs. She remarked, you did want it, and no mistake. Eleanor's surprised that he, she was that understanding. She's like, dude, you failed. I would be like, sir, I, I hope you don't think this is a, this, that we're done here. What is this? <laughs> I, I guess he needed the Chinese cock ring then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on now. No, no, I don't accept this. I don't. Mm-mm. Chris, are you all right there? Have you gone blind drinking that Korean stuff? No, no, I'm just... No. (laughs) You don't look well, Chris. Have you gone blind doing anything else, Chris? (laughs) Not not on camera, no. Uh, Lockie had a comeback that was outstanding. It was, is there a Venn diagram for military (laughs) reenactment? But anyway... All (laughs) perverts. Zach, anything to say? Well, Alina was trying to make me blush, but um, completely failed. And I'll tell you the very simple reason why she failed. I started my teacher training career. Oh, because I the... wrote it. No, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody plagiarism. She's turned the tables and stolen my work. <laughs> I started my teacher training career at an all-girls um, grammar school. Now, you've got to bear in mind that I was... Uh, two weeks into my training this is at the end of the first week you get a a few days of seminar training and then you're thrown into the deep end um and i was being encouraged to talk more to the students and help them with work etc etc and one of that one of those things is obviously classroom management and keeping people on task so i ended up um spotting two girls in year 10 so what 15 and they they clearly weren't focusing on their work and the way that the classroom was laid out, I ended up walking up behind them. They didn't know I was there. And at the point that I got within earshot, one leant across and said to the other, so did you swallow? <laughs> <laughs> so that was my induction to teacher training. And once you've crossed that barrier, it's it's pretty hard to, to phase someone. So I'm sorry, Alina, but you abjectly failed on that score. Brilliantly, uh, Chris says his great-grandfather's name is Walter and he's fearing that now this might be the one and the same dude. Dorman, you reckon the guy's got the vocabulary of a 16-year-old on an Xbox? Yeah, I mean, he really needs to expand his you know, <laughs> vocabulary, his way of describing things. I give the essay a, a, maybe a C. To be fair, Dorman, it was better than the one you were sharing with us the other day on the group chat. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Eleanor. I'm uh, really unimpressed with this as a a performance of erotica. Um, We know that specificity and slowness is the the key 
uh, to erotic writing generally. Uh, my take on um, my secret life is I'm, I've always kind of related to it a bit like it is a kind of like 16 year old's wank fantasy. Uh, you know, right? It's like, oh, who is this Walter? I'm like, buddy, I'm not sure I believe you. <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah, and then, and then she really liked it when I came all over her butt too early. She thought it was hot. It's like, okay. <laughs> Sure, Walter. Like, great, great. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's just, it's, it's too neat and tidy. You know, it's like, and also to a certain extent, not lyrical enough. You know, it's no like secret life of Catherine M is all I'm saying. Uh, if you know your confessional, uh, sex biographies, uh, that's a good, uh, 60s French one by a woman. Uh, but yeah, it's like, it lacks that kind of like specificity. So, I mean, it's a really important book in terms of like what it establishes as like a tradition, right. Of, uh, of, you know, these, um, erotic, uh, unburdenings that people write, but uh, I mean, seriously, revise and, and, you know, get back to me. That's what I would say. Okay, he's not scoring many points, is he? Uh, right, we've got a couple more left to go. Let's go to oh, all three of these are going to be brilliant. I know we've got a rugby player, an Irishman, and an army dude. So these are all going to be fucking wrong. Uh, let's go. Let's go to army dude before he gets too fresh. Continue. I, I, I just want to say I once got taken into Abergavenny Hospital because I got spit in my eye trying to throw a grenade. And the doctor had written army guy on the, uh, the admission <laughs> form, which I'm not sure really filled me with much confidence. I was sat there in full combat sort of webbing on. But anyway, that's what it sounds like. It's good. It's good. Alex is up there with the best doctors. Um, we are going to go well in lane. Uh, we're going to go with Napoleon and gay orgies. Um, basically, it's, it's what needed to be done. So, bit of context. This one, we're going with the invasion of Egypt. This is when we've actually got General Bonaparte going down to um, bring some liberty and inverted commas uh, to Egypt and the Mameluk Ottoman Empire. Uh, in doing so, one of the interesting parts of history is he takes with him quite a academic entourage, like a caravan with of people with him, including Gaspard Monge, who's a mathematician who was probably Napoleon's lover in Paris. So he pops up a few times in this. Uh, he arrives, he, he goes on with uh, the expedition, you know, there's all these things that he finds, all these uh, new areas. He's defeated by Nelson at the Battle of the Nile, so he's effectively stranded there. And there's a bit more context. Uh, in the end of July, Napoleon actually does a tour of the Grand Pyramids. Now there's this whole debate about if he goes inside and there's actually like some conspiracy theory that if he did, was this like man in red meant to appear before him and basically scare the shit out of Napoleon and he had like an out-of-body experience. Uh, hotly debated, but if so, it probably changed his um, attitude basically for the whole time. Now in August in uh, both in Egypt and in the La Republique, there were three festivals. One's the fate of the Republic, one's to do with the Prophet Muhammad, and one's to do with the fate of the Nile. Now, at the fate of the Nile, which is the 28th of August, and we're in 1798 here, um, it's basically a pagan festival, which is being carried on under a very strict um, Muslim state. And then you've got the French invaders. So you've got a lot of factors going on. It's a three-day uh, pagan festival celebrating the Nile floods and the fertility 
uh, that the, the sediment brings to the plains. People would dance until late in the night until basically they actually passed out in the streets and uh, more lewd things happen in society. This is where um, Napoleon is introduced as the guest, Sheikh Alaki. So he's one of the local dignitaries. And he hits it off with Sheikh Al-Bariki and he brings in, in one of the days of the meeting, Gaspard. So Gaspard, possibly Napoleon's former lover. And he has um, an evening with Sheikh Al-Bariki. Now, the next day, so it's like the day after the main festival, they're meant to have set up a party in one of the, par- in one of the palaces in Cairo. From there, so Bar- um, Gaspard Monge is a confirmed uh, homosexual al Bariki is meant to swing on everywhere on the spectrum it's basically the best thing i can say is it's that weird scene out of 300 where it's king xerxes so we are going full pleasures of the flesh eastern um influences men women boys girls all writhing over each other because and this is where it's interesting that even Napoleon was smoking the old shisha pipe. So he was definitely invited, definitely smoking the shisha pipe. And they were all just writhing on top of each other with a drug-fueled orgy, which is basically what we needed tonight, I think, was missing out of the uh, the lineup with some drug-fueled orgies. And so he has a really good time of it. Uh, to, to kind of prove it, uh, in the Code Napoleon, the Code Civique de Francais, Napoleon propaganda. He does decriminalise homosexuality and on the British Medical Journal, um, Napoleon is rated three on the Kinsey scale. That is a scale of naught to six on homosexuality. So a three is firmly in the bisexual, or I guess we could say pansexual camp. So there we have it. Napoleon drug fueled sex orgy in Egypt. Helena looks impressed. Well, I mean, I love to see it, um, and I've not heard of it, so you know, I, I you know, good for them. <laughs> like, you know, not not a lot more to say about it than that. I'm just like, you know, a great theme for a party. Once once Miss Rona is over, like fantastic theme, everybody. That's a freebie. Um, but yeah, like I mean, we love to see it. Just like really, you know, just dudes rock. Big dudes rock energy. Tides denial, fireworks, drugs, sex, and rock and roll. Every time, babe. Zach's like, yeah, it just sounds like a normal weekend to me. Just Southampton. Exactly. I, I grew up in Southampton. Well, I didn't grow up in Southampton, but I uni at Southampton. The only thing that was really missing for me was the annihilation of a washing machine. That would have scored <laughs> you she was the laundry ladies and let's just say she got- <laughs> no 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 don't try and squeeze it in now was, was she known as the machine that's what she said <laughs> oh eleanor's looking confused uh, the most meaningful zach relationship right now is him and his washing machine and it's tumultuous to say the least it is you know, she you know, I- he does not play ball does she? i feel like um you know have have you tried counseling i don't know <laughs> we're way past the stage of counselling we're on the stage of him attacking it with a hammer now um, I like that one, it delivered I might have known, although Marcus did give uh, Napoleon some grudging respect there for decriminalising homosexuality uh, but managed to get plenty of other digs in against him, I like the inverted commas of liberty um, 
Marcus is a massive Napoleon fan. Right, let's go to... <laughs> oh, no, go back to Zach. He's got he's waving his hand. Go on, Zach's got his hand raised. Oh, look I... at school. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple of questions here. One, uh, yeah. well, one's more of a point. The, the thing about Napoleon being gay is hotly disputed. Um, BMJ, and on... medical journal, number three. Three on the it's it's still hotly debated based on the source material that's available. Um, but equally, people um, question whether or not he had um, paedophilic tendencies. So there, there's all kinds of discussion there. Um, one, what's your source base for this? And two, why didn't you raise this in the bony bashing podcast that we did the other day? Because I'm smelling a bit of a rat here. Uh, two points. One, um, I only found the British Medical Journal access recently using an old login. And I will send you the source. He's three on the Kinsey scale. And trust me, someone like me does not know what the Kinsey scale is unless you log into the BMJ. And uh, two, um, yeah, your, your your forum's a little bit more civil than to go with huh, gay. Uh, I thought <laughs> was uh, not really quite the right uh, dig to go with the other day. Eleanor, what is the Kinsey scale? Is it bullshit? Uh, the Kinsey scale there, I mean, we still use it. So, you know, it's, um, Alfred, one of uh, Alfred Kinsey's many, um, very useful, uh, things that he's given to the world in terms of sexology. So yeah, it's a way of kind of like classifying same sex attraction very specifically. So, you know, if you are a zero on the Kinsey scale, then you're just straight as that's, that's it. You know, just, uh, people of the opposite sex. Um, and you know, yeah, you get, you get gayer as you go, baby. Uh, okay, yeah. Love this. Yeah, you, you end up, you end up gay as Christmas on the other end and we love to see it. So, uh, basically, um, you know, it's a way of, uh, kind of describing uh, people's attractions. Um, you know, obviously that's not necessarily the same thing as where their, um, romantic attractions will be as well. So for example, for bi folks, um, you know, they might be super sexually attracted to both sexes, but want, you know, romantic partnerships with all of them, you know, sex and relationships. It's a whole great big, beautiful mess, but the Kinsey scale is definitely something that we still really use and is, um, an active and useful way of describing, um, how people's attraction to other people can kind of exist on spectrum. But as you're always telling us, it's not all about P's and V's. It's not all about P's and V's, everybody. <laughs> all sex is all sex is sex. You know, I would I would guarantee that both Rousseau and uh, the Marquis de Sade on opposite ends of the spectrum would consider like spanking to be a sexual something, right? Mm-hmm. Like for them, that would sort of count as sex. They would derive the same pleasure from it. Although, um, you know, obviously Rousseau is much more of a sub vibe. And uh, so we got we more of a spanky and uh, Marquis de Sade's more of a spanker, right? But for yeah. them, that would be a sex act. So, yeah, uh, you know, there you go. So good for them. Although, uh, you know, maybe not good for the Marquis de Sade. I take no. it back. I both, actually, actually not, not good for either of them, as we've both, as we've already established because of their interest in that. It's like Rousseau is just like, uh, you're like wielding sex at people. It's terrible. Trash men. Trash man. Lockie's not a trash man. Lockie's a metrosexual new bloke, aren't you, Lockie? Yeah, I wonder where I am on the scale. Well, you oh, you play rugby, so I'm guessing after the 18th point, you start to sway up a bit. <laughs> yeah, definitely not zero. <laughs> there's, no, there's no rugby player that is. Like the British <laughs> Army went through that phase of the gay off, didn't they? Does everybody know about this? Have we left that phase? No, probably not. The I British say, I've it never lost, like I've a, never game, lost a game. I don't intend to lose a game. Don't make me. 
<laughs> Apparently, two power are the champions and will never be dislodged. Two power, more platoon. They actually started pimping each other out. <laughs> if you t- basically Pimp the gay of in the British Army is um, you, the drunker you get, you have to do something that looks gay to one of your chums, and the person who flinches first loses. And, and they, yeah, it 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 ends up carnage. There is that joke, isn't there? You know, the punchline to which is, I hope this guy gives up soon because we're currently married and have two adopted kids. If he doesn't, I'm going to think he's actually gay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, two para champions. Lockie. Yeah. Um... He's just had his eyes opened a little bit. That's not in any <laughs> of my documents about the retreat to the Hindenburg line. Well, and yet. Uh, um, I don't know. I've gone... Well, I've got, I've got two, I get, what I, I, none of them are a rugby kind of, um, analogy. I mean, they're not very sexy, the rugby type analogies. I mean, talking about the time one of the guys brought one of the female rugby players from the tournament that we were in back to the team tent, um, while most of us were asleep in it, um, isn't very romantic. I've got I've got two one's quite funny and one's actually quite a valuable service and I think, you know, if he was still around would would probably be worthy of a PhD or, or something like that in terms of research and presentation of the research. And this is kind of in my lane a little bit from when I did my London guiding. And um, this is Sebastian Horsley um who was a a journalist and and he died just over 10 years ago actually of a drug overdose, but um, was a very hedonistic um, journalist who who had uh, a couple of newspaper columns um, <laughs> providing advice. And I think he was canned from one of them after uh, the, the, the advice drifted onto anal sex, which provided, you know, provoked a few complaints. Um, his opening line in, in his reply uh, was first, my dear, I wish to make clear that I'm an expert on anal sex by virtue of my inexperience. Uh, while I have buggered women and been buggered by them, been buggered by men and buggered them, I haven't really experimented. Um, <laughs> so, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, in my in the course of my research on him, um, I, I watched his uh, YouTube video, um, which is uh, Sebastian Horsley's Guide, Guide to Whoring. Um, which was good, actually, uh, from a from an interest point of view. Uh, he stresses the benefits of, of whoring, um, in that you achieve the sensation of sex without the boredom of its conveyance, um, in that you get lust over love, uh, sensation over security, and you fall into a woman's arms, but not necessarily her hands. Um, so he's quite practically minded uh, in all of this. Um, the, the argument of sex for free versus sex for money, well, sex for money will almost invariably cost you less uh, in in the long run, whereas sex for free, um, he lists the lists the disadvantages as misery, children, divorce, mortgages and suggestive. Um, whereas uh, 50 pounds for a fuck, um, you're not going to get ha- unhappy about that, are you? Um, he uh, describes life after death as as improbable as sex after marriage, which is a little bit bleak, um, possibly. Uh, but he does say that sex is one of the most beautiful, spiritual, wholesome uh, things that money can buy. Um, and he, he's on a kind of London guiding um, route because of his uh, his old house at Soho, which used to have a plaque on the door. Um, this is Seven Maid Street in Soho. Uh, this is not a brothel. There are no prostitutes. 
at this address, um, which I understand was put there by the people who moved in after uh, he died, um, based on the place's reputation. Uh, another quote of uh, Sebastian Horsley, uh, the air used to be clean uh, and the sex used to be dirty. Uh, in Soho, this is talking. Uh, he's talking about. Uh, now it's the other way around. Uh, Soho has lost its heart, um, and uh, you're far from a, a, a sadist or anything like that. If he if he ever tried to seduce you, I guess it'd be more out of, more out of common courtesy or what he considers to be common courtesy, rather than any sense of lechery uh, or anything like that. So, in in terms of his research and presenting uh, that, I think he's actually um, done quite a, a useful piece of work. Uh, Sebastian Horsley, and like I say, tragically died about 10 years ago of a drug overdose, probably not thought to be suicide. I think his friends who knew him uh, established that if it was going to be suicide, he'd never pass up the opportunity to write a lengthy uh, and elaborate note. Um, So it probably was accidental, uh, unfortunately. But I think he's one of the the nice guys out there. My other fella um, is actually, I, I was a little bit worried that no one was going to take the piss out of the Irish on this occasion so um <laughs> i'm here for that and uh, and so i'm i'm going to um make fun of one of your one of your foremost men of letters uh, actually james joyce um who uh <laughs> dorman's giving you a pop doesn't like him oh joyce man his books are so shite <laughs> well, more more than that he was into farting or 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 rather shagging women who would fart while he was shagging them as well, and and some of his um, correspondence that turned up, which I, I've managed to, well, <laughs> I don't know, I've found, um, I've been subject to, uh, I suppose, an excerpt from a, a, a letter to his lover. It is a one. It is wonderful to fuck a farting woman when every fuck drives one out of her. Uh, I think I would know Nora's fart anywhere. I think I could pick hers out of a room full of farting women. It is rather girlish noise, not like the wet, windy fart, which I imagine fat wives have. It's a sudden, sudden and dry and dirty, like what a bold girl would let off in, a fun, in, in fun at a school dormitory at night. I hope Nora will let off no end of her farts in my face so that I may know their smell also. Um, in another letter... <laughs> In another letter, gagging in the corner. <laughs> if I gave you a bigger, stronger fuck than usual, <laughs> fat, dirty farts came spluttering out of your backside. You had an ass full of farts that night, darling, and I fucked them out of you. Big fat fellows, long, windy ones, quick little merry cracks, and a lot of tiny little naughty farties ending in a long gush from your hole. There you go, James Joyce, fan of the farts. <laughs> impressed this was the kind of thing i anticipated from kit not the farting just the 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 story um yeah i mean you've kind of had two bites of the cherry there the proverbial cherry um the the first one horsley that's quite an astute analysis that's quite tender i thought joyce just being a connoisseur of farts that's that's um that's special but not necessarily in a way that I, i would encourage it's simple but effective. I like yeah, well, I, try, I, I try to, you know, not being an expert on anything in this particular lane, I don't have the depth of knowledge to develop one single case, so I've gone for two hopefully briefer ones uh, to to amuse. I try to think, uh, Horsley just sounds like a dick, doesn't he, Eleanor? 
Well, my thing about like the whole the, like it's just always hilarious when you see people try to like um, instead of coming at like the concept of like the heteropatriarchy and like the idea that like well maybe relationships don't have to be like a completely um, predicated on you know the exchange of goods and services and just maybe so maybe sex work isn't the answer to this maybe you could just you know change your relationship to sex and like have um actual friendships with the people that you have sex with instead of just resenting them the whole time and assuming that women need to be paid off uh like critique critique heteronormativity people let's go so um you know endlessly bad things to say about that not because i think that there's anything wrong necessarily to writing extensive guides uh, to sex work some of my favorite historical documents are historical guides to sex work my issue is with you being so basic that you can't imagine that there's any other way to relate to uh, heterosexual relationships other than that everyone resents each other uh, and it's like either, you know, you, you have sex with someone that you just met or, you know, you never have sex with them again. It's like, come on, mate. Like, just work on yourself. Improve yourself, sweetheart. Don't, yeah. improve, <laughs> don't improve your, like, sex worker guide. Improve yourself. He um, did we, come off like a cynical twat, didn't he? We do love, though, I do love that plaque on his door, and it's quite funny. I used to be, um, back when I used to use Facebook, there used to be a group called Shit London where people would take pictures of, like, just random stuff that they'd seen. And there was eventually there had to be a post being like, stop posting the no prostitutes live at this address picture. We've all seen it a million times before. Cause that comes up all the time. Um, I knew about Joyce and the farts. Um, it's one of those ones. Uh, my, my nickname is Nora. So I've been teased with it in the past. It haunts me <laughs> and my dreams. Uh, so that's fine. But also it's possibly, and I think quite arguably the best thing that Joyce has ever written. So I think we could all, hey, Dorman's, uh, nodding. Dorman's nodding. I think you may have been suspect, uh, subjected to more of it than us. Clive's just disappointed that Lockie didn't read that entire thing out in his Irish accent. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, again, you know, there's been, there've been enough hate crimes recently, apparently. Let's, let's give it a rest. But, you know, yeah. um, it's a classic of the genre and it's a very important thing to do. And, um, I think it's really good to bring it up anytime that someone wants to be, you know, anytime someone wants to like come at you with some nonsense about Ulysses, just be like, yeah, but what about the farts though? And, and now you all have that and I'm happy for you. Brilliant. <laughs> let's go to Dublin for our last one tonight. Uh, Dorman, you haven't gone for Paddy history though, have you? I'll, out with a Paddy history thing, if I might, at the very end. Um, I'm, I'm also going to take two bites of the cherry if I can. But no, I've gone for something that I immediately regretted presenting as soon as I saw Eleanor was on the panel, because obviously medieval history is sort of the forte, and I'm dipping out of my comfort zone here with uh, Juana La Loca. So she was, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. But either way, this is the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella, uh, the very Catholic monarchs. And let's Sp- Spanish rulers have always been fairly racy. Uh, I mean, Ferdinand and Isabella were cousins, for Christ's sake. But um, their daughter, Juana, had quite an interesting end of life, shall we say. So she was sister to Catherine of Aragon, destined to be one of the most powerful women in Europe. Um, and she married someone called Philip the Handsome which is a pretty good title to have. Now, you can look up a pic- photograph of Philip the Handsome if you want. I personally am a fan of his massive nose. Um, but, you know, I guess whatever you're into back then. Yeah, a name he gave himself by any chance? I don't think so. He seemed to be quite a good-looking guy. Now, th- this could be a Charles the Bold situation where he was actually called Charles the Rash, but he sort of, you know, changed it up. Maybe he was, I don't know, Philip the I don't know, Erudite or some shite. I don't know. Either way, he was a bit of a player. And he shagged his way around Europe with gay abandon 
Um, <laughs> he had a massive history of marital infidelity, and this had a very detrimental effect on Juana's mental health. Um, and the marriage eventually ended in 1506 with Philip dying quite suddenly from typhoid fever or poison. Now, in one account that I was uh, read when I was doing my undergrad, apparently he died during the act itself. Um, while she was astride him, shall we say, or however the position uh, <laughs> ended up. But either way, uh, Philip bit the dust. Now, this is where Juana's uh, obsession with her husband re-elevates to a new level because she decided that um, she couldn't bear separation with Philip any longer. And she had the corpse embalmed and covered in perfumes, various unguents and the like. And the quote is, the corpse, corpse was stitched back together and all its members bound with wax linen bandages. Now, you can put into your own mind which members they're talking about there, but I am taking the perverse approach that they're talking about, the fifth member. Um, and over the next three years, she would frequently crawl into the casket and spend nights with it because she didn't, couldn't bear to be separated from her, uh, from the husband. Eventually, this leads to her being classified as insane. And her end is actually extremely tragic because her son, Charles, who turns into the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, is a colossal prick. And this is the one with the chin. Uh, one of many with chins, yes. <laughs> He's the original Habsburg chin. And he uh, convinces her that she's still the queen. And then whenever he visits her, he force, he steals from her. So his sister's wedding gift is something he stole while visiting um, his mother. So he's just an absolute awful person. But I figured you can't really have a sex history podcast without a little bit of necrophilia thrown in if we're going to be talking about history. So I figured why not add in uh, one of the mad. Uh, and just by way of ending, we've had a lot of fun. We've had some serious conversation. And I'd like to end with a bit of a warning. So I've taken this from a Dublin newspaper which describes an event that happened in Galway. Um, so it reads, Galway, February 11th, by a gentleman in the neighbourhood of Schlieve Marie in this county, we're informed of one of the most shocking instances of the dismal effects of canine madness that ever was related. A young fellow of that parish, who it seems had been bit by a mad dog about three years ago, but without the appearance of any bad effect, was married to a young woman of the village of Schlieve Marie about 10 days since, and they were bedded together. But in a short time after, the young woman was heard to scream out in a frightful manner and to express the words, Lord, have mercy on me. Surely you must be mad. Her complaints increasing, the young fellow's brother desired her father to open the door that they might see what the matter was. But mistaking it for coyness in his daughter, unfortunately declined it, yet become more dismal and dying groans. Too late alarmed them. When bursting into the room, they were presented with the most horrid spectacle of a young woman most shockingly massacred, and he, like a fiend, wallowing in blood with her liver, which he tore out of her body, held between his teeth. As he had a knife in his hand and the wildness of his aspect not to be described, no person would approach him. His brother would have shot him had he not been hindered, but at length, by a noose, by some means, they flipped around his neck. He was secured and tied down to prevent him doing any further mischief. So... If you are being murdered in your bedroom, there's a chance your father might think you're just having a really good time of it. So make sure you have a safe word, I think is the real moral of this story. <laughs> Only in Galway, right? Yeah, exactly. Zach, did we ask you about the farting? So Zach, tell us about these then. Yeah, um, like 
Dorman said, I mean, it wouldn't be a, a down the pub sleazy sex story thing if there wasn't a bit of necrophilia in there somewhere. Um, it, it was kind of what I was anticipating, not necessarily from Dorman, but I, I kind of figured that Dorman would bring bring his A game. Um, the 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 Dublin newspaper Galway need of a safe word. I, I, I like that you've ended with a kind of a fable at the end of there. You know, there's a learning point for us all to like take. Like an episode of He Man. Yeah. Exactly, you know, it's 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 beneficial. We're we're taking education away from this, but I'm really not sure that we can encourage this. So I'm I'm afraid it 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 can't become the greatest sexcapade. I'm sorry, Dorman. That's <laughs> Points for effort, though. That's fine. <laughs> Eleanor, um, I always love a chance to talk about um, the Juana of Castile or, or Joanna the Mad. You know, you you could throw the terms around, uh, have have fun with it. Um, I really dig her commitment to um like you know she was she was not you know most people when they get married they say till death to us for a part and you you know joanna she says that's for quitters that's for beginners no thank you you know and uh really is stretching that royal privilege out to do whatever it is she feels that she's got to do and uh so we kind of stand a legend um i am always interested in the kind of like uh late medieval um, early modern Spain because it is uh, full of absolutely uh, wild stuff like that. So yeah, thank you. Always fantastic to bring it up. Um, yes, a timely reminder of uh, the necessity of safe words, and you know, also we, we do we do like that. Is it a sexcapade or is it a tragedy? I'm going to go more towards tragedy. Fair, fair. Um, you know. <laughs> but at, at the same time, it is it is always important to talk about these things. I think. So uh, definitely points for, uh, you know, getting us into another conversation where we can talk about, you know, the necessities of uh, critiquing our own sexual practices and more. It's fantastic work. We love to and, see that. And also not having sex with your dad outside the door. I mean, ideally, I try not to. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, that that's probably, I'm not sure that I'd ever quite get there if it was me. But, you know, hey. Yeah. That's what confused me about the safe word. You said, you know, it sounded like she was enjoying herself too much. So it's important to have a safe word. But I thought for a moment you meant a safe word in case your dad's outside. <laughs> so that he knows. That too. I was very yeah. confused. <laughs> mm. Well, I mean, that, that could crop up too. I don't know what the living conditions you're in at the moment, Charlotte. <laughs> Thankfully, that's there. That's not an issue. <laughs> Okay, um, this has been far more educational than I thought it was going to be. Uh, it was not a total cackle fest of nonsense. The nonsense is there, but it's padded out with actual history, thanks to Eleanor. Uh, and also as well, uh, our little chat in the middle that got quite deep. I think people will be surprised. Uh, okay, so as usual, while well, the judges decide who has won and who was the bullshit one, who is making weird fart noises now? Is this an irony? Or... Is James Joyce appearing? Yeah, going to go around the room and see who everyone would have gone for if they can't have their own one. Need to, if you're going to if you're going to DM me, I probably need to be following you. What are you? Uh, at said white history, nice and imaginative. Yeah, uh, you know, as a as a, a lady online doing sex history, uh, you have absolutely got to be following me in order to see how many. <laughs> like it's just it would just be wall to wall dicks. Otherwise, so yeah. you know, it's uh, yeah, 
Because yeah, clearly, why it. would you be studying sex history if you didn't want uh, to see every every history. random man's dick? That's obviously <laughs> a thing. Are you, are you well, saying dick pics are not welcome? Uh, you know what the thing is. You Zach. know, I would I will solicit them if necessary. Zach, Zach, first message, dick pic, go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like it's also funny though because like occasionally I'll have uh, people who are kind of like trying to sexually harass me and it's actually really difficult uh, because they'll like try to sexually harass me and I'll just start like talking about them like very earnestly about sex with them and I'm like oh see like this is my job like this is not titillating for me this is just this is my job it's not fun <laughs> and so like I'll watch people kind of like get confused and wander off and only when they do that do I go oh he was trying to harass me Oh, like, and I'm like out here. I'm like, I'm like engaging in this like really earnest manner and like recommending podcasts and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, keep asking for a friend. So dick pics aren't welcome. I mean, uh, I'll let you know when they are. So you know, although um, historic dick pics always welcome. Essentially, if you see a a crudely drawn penis on the sidewalk, I want to see that. You uh, also they... want to see all his pictures from that South Korean love place. Yeah, I want to see all the pictures <laughs> from the South Korean love place. I want to see, like, any well, kind of historical dick. I probably want to see it. It's just probably, like, you know... I mean, I've been going around taking photos of dicks for about a year now. <laughs> I, I, took, I went down the Amazon and I took photos of dick pictures on the walls of, of Indian tribes' huts. Yeah, so, you know, I love I've got it. a lot of dick pics. I mean, I, I feel I'm like one of those people where I feel absolutely compelled to take pictures of every crudely drawn penis I see. And also, you know, no, no patch of wet cement is ever going to be safe for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alina's just as bad. She can't even mention ancient Rome without somehow getting around to the penis room in Naples. So, yeah, I have like, I think all of my favorite, uh, photos of me from when I went to Greece are just like me standing in front of like giant phalluses being like, <laughs> You know, truly beautiful. Oh, Loveland had a rideable penis and it was fantastic. You can sit on this <gasps> thing. Oh, yeah, it's really brilliant. <laughs> I've got to go. That is it. And there was you know? the pedantic the, the weird, One of the weirdest rideable. things was there was the, the Alice in Wonderland bench and it had different Alice in Wonderland themed dildos stepping up from this bench. Like, so you could sit on them if you wanted to with springs. It was really weird. Amazing. <laughs> what did you ask him then? I, I was saying not to be pedantic, but isn't every penis rideable? <laughs> okay, hold up. <laughs> right, okay. Whilst Ellen and Zach decide which of you is the winner and which of you is full of shit, let's go round the room. I'm going to go for Joanna because she showed dedication and commitment to her husband in death that he never showed her in life, the scumbag. Uh, Beth. <laughs> Bethany the Short. We've all got new nicknames on this chat. I'm Alex the Awesome. Bethany the Short. Yeah. Which way have you gone? Um. I mean, easily I could pick any of them because they've all just had me in stitches all night. Um, but I think I've got to go with, with Kit and his sex mountain and sex doll. <laughs> it's just, I've never heard of in my life. Poor Beth. She, she hasn't travelled much. And the idea that there is a mountain of gratuitous sex in Indonesia has blown her mind. Uh, Charlotte the Fabulous. Um, well, it, it's been a tough decision tonight, but I have the sense of humour of a 10-year-old child. So the um, the farting for me, Loki's Loki's <laughs> the intolerant, and, and the farting story, that tickled me. Thank you. 
lactose the intolerant which way have you gone oh, i'm sharing the love charlie's way as well uh, i'm you know straight into the 17th century i love uh, a little bit of badass um women um, mummy m- molesting <laughs> mummy <laughs> munching yeah anyway yeah exactly <laughs> belting story definitely using that if i ever get to give another tour around london Chris <laughs> the blind uh, I, I'm probably going to go with the idea of relating the woman on these. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a day for you, hasn't it, Chris? I, I don't know why that tickles me so much, but <laughs> <laughs> Andrew the doorman. Uh, it's got a big fuck mountain. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just so good. Um, Although, in fairness, the the uh, mummy penis was was a close second. James the Young. Uh, <laughs> he's all named. He's the only winner here. Kit is the only winner here. Both those stories, <laughs> Kit, are just up there in madness. Kit the pervy. <laughs> I'm going to go for the cockasidal main of maniac that is Barbara Villas, um, <laughs> even if it's not <laughs> well, not true. Um, although I think the story is is true. I think it's Marcus who's probably bullshitting. And you uh, need to extra kudos for incorporating the term love puddle and that may have surpassed the wanking space tortoises from last week. Uh, Kate, the drunk. <laughs> I think uh, I've got to go with the sex doll. The sex doll. Yeah. It's looking, isn't it? Horrible. It looked horrible. It looked like a dead person. That's horrible. A dead person with extreme cellulite because of the skin thing that it had going on. Men had really fat legs, right? Oh, yeah. Marcus has given himself a nickname. Marcus the muted. Marcus the muted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't realised. <laughs> I think he's got to be uh, lucky just purely because if he's going to do sex, then farting's funny. <laughs> Uh, and it does sound like a, a story that would be told around the barracks. So, yeah, pretty good on top. Clive, you haven't given yourself a nickname either. No, because I'm just scared that I'm going to go into my Zoom call tomorrow morning without having changed it back. You did that before, Thorman, didn't you? Yes. What did you go online with? Oh, I can't. I think it was like bastarding bastard one it was the sean bean bastard yeah yeah i I, I logged into my seminar like that and the students didn't get it let's put it like that (laughs) i'm going to have to go with the james joyce one simply because if i'd known that story before i tried to read julius and only got as far as page 38 i might have got to page 62 (laughs) alina you're absolutely juvenile at the best of times are you going to go with the farting no, actually, I am going to go with Kate's cock ring. Because <laughs> <laughs> that one made me laugh the most. Have you been on eBay looking? Me? Mm. No, that's Lockie. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Judges, who is bullshitting us? I'll take this one. I reckon it's Marcus, who has gone to great lengths to convince me that Napoleon may have been bisexual, which I think is legitimate, but hasn't addressed the um, wild sex orgy that he's meant to have attended. And so I think that part of the story is bullshit. (laughs) 
Eleanor, who did you think was bullshitting? Um, so I think that we have come to the same conclusion here. So yeah, Zach and I are pretty sure that Marcus is. We just we're not buying the orgy. We're we're willing to come with you on the buy thing. Uh, but we're just, we're not necessarily buying the orgy. It sounds too much like an intro to the Scorpion King. <laughs> it also sounds too much like something that Marcus would seriously, sincerely want to be true as well. So he, I want, would, I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong. Marcus here. fan fiction. He would have mentioned it to every Napoleonic obsessed French person that had ever got in his face, wouldn't you, Marcus? This is yeah, too right. That would have been straight over that. Though that that seems like I don't even know orgy shaming. Is that even a thing? Um, yeah, it was all true. Uh, yeah, obviously Napoleon losing loads of stuff in the place in Egypt, having possibly having the shit scared out of him by ghosts in the pyramids, the three day pagan festival possibly having a lover in Paris called Gaspard Monge, the uh, mathematician. He did decriminalise homosexuality and he is rated three on the Kinsey scale, which is news to me. But uh, and the only person that I'm really feeling sorry for here is Sheikh Al-Bariki was a real person and uh, his bio page is one thing long, which is basically he was introduced to Napoleon. So, sorry, there was no 300 Xerxes-themed orgy. I'm sad about that, that we too. we know of. Yes. Lack of proof is not proof of lack. <laughs> Indeed. Right. Who has come up with the best sexcapade? I keep on thinking of how to say my own work in history. Judges. Do you, how do we want to do this, Shell? Um, I announce them or do you want to do it, Zach? You go for it, Eleanor. Okay, so we have decided that it's really difficult to get around um, inspiring a sex cult and an orgy mountain. Sex like, Mountain wins. How are we? You know, I I am going to live the rest of my life in the shadow of that story. It's changed me personally. It's changed my life goals. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm uh, definitely a more ambitious person than when this podcast started. So that's that's beautiful. I have a GoPro Hero Seven and a head strap. If you need to borrow it. I mean, you know, it's a whole new way of saying strapping in. Um, so that's fantastic. Uh, we, we love to see it. Thank you very much for, uh, bringing so much joy to everyone's life. Um, for number two, uh, we are loving the, uh, detective, uh, work. Um, hashtag Barbara Villiers did nothing wrong, or at least that is not what she did wrong. You know, like, uh, we love the detective work. We absolutely love proving misogynists to be misogynists. And we want to say that, you know, sometimes ladies can just be sexy and not, um, bite off mummy's penises. (laughs) It's completely within the realm of possibility. Immediately lit lead to the other. Uh, James has come up with a funny on the chat. He says someone should install a load of the sex chairs on sex. (laughs) Oh, wouldn't that be ideal? That's it's so great. It's so great. Um, so thank you for that, Charlotte. And also I just think that it's a really lovely piece of, uh, history work and it shows why we're still in the game, baby. Why history is still going on. Um, number three, we are, I'm afraid it's going to have to be the swan sex doll. (laughs) <laughs> oh two placements get in uh, yeah you know what can i say what can, you know it's just that it is really macabre 
and see, I feel for me, it's not a shot because I've heard about the swan sex doll, but I've never seen the swan sex doll. <laughs> so, you know, for me, um, those lumpy thighs will haunt my dreams. So, I mean, uh, what you probably don't know is I've been cracking out dirty sex stories for months. I mean, I brought in Jack Parsons, the guy who, who, who wanked off in front of L. Ron Hubbard to summon a demon woman and, and never won anything. And now I've got well, two placements. Yeah, Dorman's just pointed out, is this your first win? Yes, it's my oh. first win. Do you know what, though? It, it surprises none of us, Kit, that the one where we asked you to find the most deviant piece of history you possibly could, that you stormed home to two places. I'm not surprised. I mean, um, I want to, I would give an, uh, an honourable mention to uh, wanking in front of Elrond Hubbard, though, because that is very funny to me. That's extremely um, japes, as far as I'm concerned. Fantastic. So um, you've got we, a whole new bucket list after tonight, haven't you? I mean, that'll always be the dream. Uh, but I think we've also got an, an honorable mention in at number four. We want to uh, thank uh, everyone for letting us, uh, to giving us the opportunity to talk about how uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau is a big old sub. And, <laughs> um, you know, a, Jean-Jacques Rousseau's bare ass um, and um, interest in bearing ass and the right to bear ass um, is probably always going to be funny. Um, and I enjoy his takes on um, how sexuality is formed. Um, and I like the idea that, you know, if, if presented with a bare ass, then what people would naturally do is be moved to spank it. Um, and I think that that's, that's uh, beautiful in and of itself. So we had to do an honorable mention. It was too good. It was too good. So uh, is there not like an argument for linking him up with James Joyce as well and just letting the pair of them get on with it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot that could be done here. Definitely. It'd be like an accordion. That'd be grim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I just well, say, am I the only girl in this room thinking... <laughs> I can't fart on command during sex. What the hell is he fighting with me? I know. Like, I mean, that, that is one talented young lady. I mean, go for her, I guess. I mean, is he feeding them, like, fart-inducing foods before they go at it? Or it's what? just like the noises. Just, just yeah. the time going... <laughs> but what's the, what's the sex talk like? Is it like, fart for me, woman, fart! Yeah, I mean... Fart! I imagine. Just imagine them going, I can't right now. <laughs> I, he makes it sound like it's like one goes in hand with the other and it's the easiest thing in the world. But You know, all of the farting that we usually enjoy during sex. How many people is a whoopee cushion a sex toy? <laughs> it's uh, clearly not a zero number, so, you know. Oh. <laughs> Beth is officially dying now as well. Guys, thank you so much. We were really grown up tonight in amongst all the talk, talk of cock rings and farting and the usual nonsense. But as ever, the sillier we get, the more people download this down the pub thing. So, hey. Yeah. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.